Hi, and welcome to another Mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Dan. Hi. Is back after not being on the podcast for like eight fucking months. And so uh, we are just knocking off all of the old mailbag questions that have been accumulating for the last, uh, since we did this the first time, 20, yeah. 23, 22, some odd mailbags. So. so if you've been, if you sent a question in two years ago and it hasn't been read yet, it you will today. Yeah. Or, or you're dead. Yeah. You know, one of the two. Some of these people, some of these people don't exist on the internet. Statistically, <laughs> two people are dead that have asked these questions. <laughs> So, Yikes. Um, so bear with us. This is going to be a long one. We're going to clear it all. Um, I purposefully did not go hunting for questions this time around, and we ended up with 61 just just naturally anyway. So normally we do 20 off of three random tables. We have one big-ass table, uh, and so we're just going to roll dice and start working our way down the lists. All right, so uh, let's grab dice and roll an issue to see who's going to tackle this fucking travesty first. 17 down to a 7. Eight. Oh, you guys got to roll off. Got to roll off. There you go. Terry, five for Terry, and a nine for me. So Adam, you're first. And then going, me. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're going counterclockwise. All right. First and foremost, we have uh, Shatner Pants from Reddit. <laughs> uh, Shatner Pants. Shatner Pants asks Megan, and then in brackets, Meghan, Meghan. Too many spelling options. Uh, you spend a lot of time in Barovia. Have you figured out who actually controls the mists? If it's Strahd. Why doesn't he just flood the road to Castle Ravenloft occasionally to rid himself of pesky adventurers? Thanks. Well, Megan's not here, so we're going to try to answer that anyway. Sure. Uh, the mists are part of the Domain of Dread that are there. He's not technically in charge of them. They're just the boundary. Well, yeah, the, that's the way the Ravenloft works, is there's the dark ones, the dark lords that oversee everything, right? And then they've got each one of these these little domains of dread within within the Shadowfell have their own um, single person that is the captive that's the captive but also like is in charge and and pushes their will and whim upon everybody else that's in there right so it's themed mm -hmm. after them so Strahd is a vampire it's all vampire themed but every one of these little prisons these these little realms like Barovia is, is surrounded by mists and you can't go through them that's just the rule so he doesn't get to control them the dark lords control them. yeah that's also why Strahd gets killed and then comes back because it's an eternal purgatory over and over Right? Yeah, he's been reliving this forever and ever and ever. If he were able to control the mists, he would be able to leave. Yeah, so, so not him, and that's part of his curse of strayed. So we set it up for you, Terry. <laughs> well, you there's three say? words. There's three hosts. So my in, my only input to that answer would have been just saying Strahd. Yeah, <laughs> better than what the input is now. Strahd, like a <laughs> bloody gothic Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my turn. Internal management ten from Reddit asks, have you ever listened to an episode you were not on, which is a big question right there, yeah. and heard somebody give a take on something that made you wish you had been there to argue with them and give your own counterpoint? If so, what? Every goddamn day. Yeah, all of the ones I ever edited. There were times we actually, like, put my opinion in. Yeah, you had to edit yourself in. Like, I edited myself in because you guys were being dickheads about something, so uh, I, I definitely... Did Especially when we're ripping on you and then you've got to edit it. Like, yeah. Fuck you, Dan. We know you're editing this. You know, yeah. God damn it. Exactly. So, uh... Terry, do you ever listen? Not anymore. I used to listen, but now there's too much. Yeah. <laughs> of just everything. In life. All the places. So. I, I have found that since, uh... I, I don't even know when this mailbag's coming out, but, uh... Later this month. Later this month. A couple um, of weeks. I have found that since I have stopped 
being on the podcast and doing the recordings, I have listened to the podcast more and have, have been thoroughly entertained. So I've gone down. But it's because I'm here. Well, for the episodes that I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. I was there. I don't need to listen to myself again. Uh, how, how does Dave put it? He goes, um, I spend like four hours a week on podcast stuff on average anyway. I'm not going to spend my time in the car. Well, that's what I used to do. I used to listen in the car as I was driving to work and back. And then it was just me listening to my own podcast going, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> five minutes later. It's, 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 it's a mixture oh, of two things. It's either, it's either deep shame and regret for the words that come out of your mouth. Or it is almost masturbatory as you're sitting there like, yeah, no, no, I'm right. I'm super right with this. Yes, go Dan. I uh, I do everything in my power to not put my voice on episodes that I'm not on, mm. right? So more than once, I've I've almost succumbed to that thing that you do, Dan, or you used to do anyway, where it was uh, I, I'm in the middle of editing and no, fuck you, I'm I'm weighing in on this, or I'm gonna have my little after credit bit that I don't do that unless unless there's a fact that I know for that I know is wrong and I will put in a disclaimer. I don't get I don't get involved. Yeah, like mm. what I did that recently, Dave. Dave dragged the whole podcast off of the word multiclassing into the word cross-classing. Oh. And I'm like, uh, uh, we're going to address this in a disclaimer at the beginning. They say cross-classing, it's supposed to be multiclassing. Let's move on. But no. So, that's a 3.5 thing. Hmm. Okay, uh, Steve O'Connell asked via the website, uh, so reliable talent makes each role to which you would add your proficiency bonus a minimum of 10 on the die. Jack of all trades adds half proficiency to all your skill checks if you are not already proficient. Because Jack of all trades adds a non-zero portion of your uh, PB to skill checks, would it trigger reliable talent? These are the fucking G. <laughs> <laughs> you got the technical. Yes. One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Th- yes. Yeah. Re- yes. Reliable talent gets triggered. It absolutely does. Yes. Yeah. He probably asked this two years ago. So. <laughs> um, well, I mean, probably right around the time we did the rogue and/or bard episode. Jack, or or, he, or he created a character that has since died. He's on three characters later at this point. The answer is yes, and if your DM says no, then the answer is no for your table. Yeah, that, I would say yes, rules as intended. I don't think there's a rules as written for one overruling another. Um, but yeah, you go with what your table says, right? So there we go. Um, at Dan underscore B underscore 403, so I guess this was Instagram, asks... Uh, what's the thing that you miss most about 3.5? Uh, the thing, uh, character building. Oh, sorry. It's your question. Go ahead. Uh, I don't need to answer myself first. Yeah, no. No, character building. Yeah. Uh, theory crafting. 3.5 dealt with a big bloat and Pathfinder kind of the same way. There's a lot of rules bloat to it. Um, fifth edition has managed to have a lot of rules, but not a lot in the same vein of theory crafting with characters. So character building. That's what I miss most. I never played 3.5. This is easy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Um, definitive lore. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. That, that, yeah. Fair. <laughs> not uh, not the, whatever Sword Coast Adventures Guide was. The best lore we get is the stuff that's not in the Forgotten Realms, right? And and even the stuff we're getting lately, I mean, there's technically some flavor, but I wouldn't call it lore for Spelljammer or Radiant Citadel or even Strixhaven. Like, you get the flavor of your setting, but there's not an ancient history or here's here's seven or eight different maps of where to go to explore the thing and this is great ancient evil rising in the we don't have that shit most of it anymore no eberron ravnica theros and i think i want to say the critical role ones they've done a pretty good job of that yeah however 
everything else kind of sucks. I think it's because there's not a whole hell of a lot in the way of um, like novelizations and uh, fiction that is being written in these worlds right now. So there's not a lot to build on in the fifth edition realm, right? Like everything is intentionally kept very vague and well what's interesting yes i think you're right what's interesting is they i think they're moving away from that because did you hear about the latest thing about their the pillars of dungeons and dragons moving forward that yep. they're doing right where they're doing um like was uh movies and television is one toys and board games is two obviously the game that we play is three and then um what's video games is, yeah it's four so um, the latest one, Dragonlance, just came out with a board game, and the board game, uh, so Dragonlance, the whole story is there's a war going on, and you guys, that's the backdrop of the whole thing. There is a war. The evil dragon queen has kicked off a war. There it is. Battles and events happen throughout the campaign that you kind of see in the distance, right? They impact your story, but you don't impact it. Unless you play the board game, at which point you can pause the actual campaign and go play the board game and determine, and you can take your character from your campaign into the board game and impact the outcome of the war, which will impact the campaign and you can move forward with that. So that to me sounds like lore building. It sounds to me like they may be heading as a as there is a AAA video game that comes out like, hey, Baldur's Gate or Waterdeep or whatever it is, they will give us a location to flesh that out because you have to in a AAA video game. Yeah. There's lore in every single piece of writing that goes into it every hieroglyph on a wall has to have a reason behind it right so that'll be the lore building i would like to see it in the actual fucking tabletop game Mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right um alexander another skip davis asks what and where are three places on reddit uncle turry should not go i don't go on reddit wow i'm crap at this tonight (laughs) (laughs) i don't go on reddit (laughs) i I hate the internet, so uh, we, we, I don't go to any of it. We just had a discussion how uh, there are some things happening within like our group of friends that uh, are making me agree with you, Terry, with my face being photoshopped on certain things. Yeah, so Katarina just photoshopped uh, Dan's face on her body. Uh, it was uh, arousing. Why? No? Okay. We're going to move on. It aroused Terry? anger. I, th- oh, yeah, it, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rage. Disgust. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, you're not on Reddit. You're, like, the only person I think in the podcast that has never, like, chimed in on, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't do, I don't do the Reddit. Unplugged from Instagram now. Yeah, I'm off all of it. I, you I unplugged only, from Instagram, too, hey? I only keep my Instagram so that, because that's how I can talk to people from, like, I haven't seen in, like, ten years. Yeah, well, yeah that's like, why I keep my Facebook page. Facebook's right? gone. Yeah. Facebook is deleted off, off the face of the planet. I'm jealous. That's the next fucking thing to go. Oh, that one's gone. Instagram, all my pictures, everything's gone off Instagram. I'm just a hollow shell. Uh, just uh, creeping on people I used to work with 12 years ago. Um, but your TikTok is going strong, if I remember correctly. TikTok is gone. No, oh, yeah? That's out. There's nothing. There's nothing left. That, no, I, it's oddly freeing. I, I, I liked it a social media purge recently as well. Do I miss it? No. No. Hey, uh, we're a bunch of middle-aged white guys. We don't need social It's not for us. Yes. It's for right? Us. It's not for us, unless it's us ranting about politics, which we don't need to do. Yeah. Who needs that stress in their lives? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's not for us. So. I'm out. I'm out. It used to be fun. Now it's not. Uh, okay, King of Rot asks, uh, who would win in a fight? There we go. Now here we go. Yeah, now who would win in a fight between an artificer, or as we say in England, artificer, uh, who has awakened all of dance furniture and a bard who has become fluent in the purple saxophone. Ah. 
Well, if you become fluent in the purple saxophone, that means that you have at least six and a half people. That half is a centaur. Right. So that's one and a half. So it's five. It's, it's six individuals. Six and a half people. So you come with the posse. Um, Whereas you just come with my furniture. Well, on. There's a <laughs> Oh, difference. yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Terry? Uh, Save us? <laughs> between an artificer who was awake in all of Dan's furniture. An artificer. Well, you see, I think I think it's it's based on the question as well because it's not against Dan's furniture. It's a bard who is proficient and the artificer who has done this. Yeah. So uh, bard trumps artificer every time. Bard spell list is better than the artificer. Uh yeah. You will just have more powerful bards than but you will. Dan is quite the craftsman. Right. And so but Dan's it not would even be there for this. Dirty fight. furniture, though, and if it's been awakened. But is the furniture <laughs> part of the fight? Because the way that it was phrased. <laughs> and no, if the furniture's been awakened, it's got other things to do than a fight. Yeah, Mostly, it, it's, it's got shudder and terror and go just, to therapy. There's some existential <laughs> going on. <laughs> First, it's gonna it's gonna wipe its face. I just called you Pape. <laughs> <laughs> Love you too, buddy. <laughs> Why do you think I did that? I don't know. Why. Uh, Maybe because, because the bondage furniture. Usually that's what I do when I'm trying to argue a point. Babe, let me tell you why you're <laughs> fucking wrong about can the sex intervention. I mentioned therapy the wrong Jerry question. Start, uh, Terry know, this. The worst question as well for me to do that mistake. Uh, I can't remember what my point was going to be. Um, so I don't know. I got a pretty good idea what your point was going to be, Terry. Uh, what's one thing you missed from 3.5 or have heard about in 3.5 that you like? Uh, that was Dan B four hundred three again. So I think he just asked the question twice. Okay, ended um, up on the list twice. Yeah, like this is probably one of those ones where he asked it eight months later. He's like, "Did they answer that? I'm going to ask it again." Yeah, yeah. So all right. Well, well, look, we could do the inverse. What's one of the things you don't miss about three point five? Oh, um, being uh, being able to have an AC of fifty three. The grapple rules. Oh fuck the grapple rules. The grapple rules were bad. The math was so was so intense. I think and that. that Boils down to the same thing, where you were stacking modifier on modifier, right, to get these crazy, single-use, unique things to, to have around the table that, like, if you were to be good at grappling, you would be shit at literally everything else in the game. So you were always looking for that one way to grapple. So your DM, and this is where the, the confrontational dungeon master comes in, in order to have a, a session, you have to come up with things that can't be grappled. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? Yeah. This guy is going to just do 9,000 damage on his turn. Everyone's going to sit there and golf clap for him, and you move on to the next thing. Right? Yeah. So you're like, so that doesn't happen. Or you try, but this the monster's better at it than you. And someone's like, look, I spent the last six weeks theory crafting this, building this, making sure all the math is right, and you don't even let me play it. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so that's, like, I'm glad that the math, the modifiers, the the... Um, experts aren't a thing anymore. You're far better rounded as characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I never played 3.5, but I will say what um, what I like the fact that is gone is the amount of books and the amount of bloat. You know, it's clear that wizards, rightly so, they're a business or are trying to expand their, you know, total addressable market with the different things that are happening. And with the attention span that we have these days, which is fucking six seconds, yeah. um, they, they needed to do that. And I think they're on the right path with making things much more streamlined. We started with fifth edition, and clearly that's the way that they're going to go uh, moving forward. Because it's at the point now where I, I have had, got a pretty good success rate with introducing people to D&D. I can't think of a single person that I've actually got to play the game and they've said, I don't like it. People love it. But I tried to introduce somebody recently and I was like, here, borrow my player's handbook. You only read to need up need to read up until this point, and I will help you with the rest. And yeah. they were like, "I'm not reading that book." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> that's as good as I can do." So yeah. Um, all right. So 
user Kirker Bitter um, asks, "What's your favorite fun fact, not about yourself, but about science or history?" Oh, oh, that's a good one. Ah, God, I'm usually so full. We call it pub ammo in the UK, and I'm usually so chocked full of pub ammo. But yes, I, same. This is like put you on the spot, oh, right? Like, yeah. what's your favorite fact? Like, my mom, I mentioned before, is an anthropologist. Like, history's a big fascination of mine, especially, like, Western uh, the history and the history of the church. Like, um, what's a fun fact? There was a point in history where there were three popes. Really? And, yeah. Yeah that's, yeah, that's a funny, that, that's a funny, wacky, bloody period. And it's very bloody period yeah. of time. There was a pope in Spain, a pope in Italy, and a pope in Constantinople. And they were fighting, uh, like, and they each wanted to claim. It's, I think that uh, aggression is where the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, split from modern Catholicism. So a lot of the stuff you see that goes on in the Eastern European, like the Russia, the Romania, the, like the Eastern Orthodox Church split around then when the one Pope went, no, I'm still the Pope. And that's when they went their own way. The other two Popes had a bit of a property grab like one guy went away on war and the other guy just moved in and said i'm the pope now so it's um yeah i I got lots of little like history tidbit things like that that i have in the back of my head but being put on the spot i don't know Uh, let's go with the pope thing i might come back to it i might come back to it um loads of useless uh my ducks have a corkscrew penis (laughs) no my favorite my favorite (laughs) new science fact that I believe is relatively new. All right, so you've heard that uh, you cannot create or destroy energy, right? You can you just transfer. Sure. It, yeah, yeah. Right. Wrong. Um, they have created it now. It has. You can create it. You can create it by destroying matter. Um, but very specifically. So, um, in a atom, there is an electron, a uh, proton, and a neutron. Right. Um, protons are essentially made up of. I'm gonna get this kind of wrong because it's very new, and I've not done. Oh, they're reason, chomping at the but, bit. Yeah, I can hear them already. But but protons are essentially made up of a handful of quarks and then a bunch of other shit too. But it's the quarks that matter. Um, you when you destroy a proton, you actually end up uh, turning some of the quarks into energy and if you and or sometimes you can reverse that and make um a bunch of energy turn into quarks um, from uh, manipulating protons this could fucking change everything this is like all of our energy crises uh, everything around the world this could fucking change everything in like 100 years right as soon as we can learn how to fucking harness this outside of a lab that's amazing now i can't wait for my monthly subscription yeah like that will be turned into a weapon because that's what we do well it took the most powerful lasers and like lots of them in order to do this. So it's going to take probably a few years before we can fit it in an iPhone. But yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that's a, like that made me go, what must read more? But that I discovered that like two days ago uh, from like scientific journals. So like it's it's out there. I just I need to have Wikipedia open every time that I start to read into this shit because I will go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And, and I don't have time in my life for that rabbit hole until after the holiday. So I love it. Do you have a Do you have a fact? Oh, I mean, it's not coming to mind. Look, I do know stuff, and I will remember <laughs> something interesting and unique that nobody else here knows. That's what That's what Terry does. He drinks and he knows stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie The Two Towers, but when Aragorn picks <laughs> <the house. laughs> uh, okay, uh, my question. Uh, Axie Dialogue asks, "Where does the bidding Where does the bidding start for Brad's Friday night services?" See episode one seventy seven. Minute 37 and 35 seconds. Do I need to go to Canada or is he coming to the States? Or will we work out the details after the auction? 
Well, if you're American, chances are you don't have a passport, so it means we're coming to you. What? Well, Dan, we'd have what? to go there it's, anyway because they're no, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they're used to auctioning people down there, right? They're it's probably just dragging out of the fucking yikes. No, too much? No. We okay. go there too often. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm British, so I have to pay to enter the US, so I'm not going down there. I'm sorry, what? Every time I drive over the border, they charge me like it's a weird number. It's like six dollars and fifty three cents. <laughs> Why? Only if I drive over the border. Is it because you lost the Revolutionary War? Isn't it? I we fucking <laughs> do not. Okay, we don't sell. We don't celebrate Abandonment Day on, <laughs> on the Fourth of July. It's it's kind of weird that they're just making the like land border uh, UK uh, citizens pay for the burning of the White House. Like, like, do you fly in? Like, like do they the charge you when you fly in? Like, when you cross no, the 49th par- uh, parallel, are they handing out coffee and tea and everyone and a bill to you? Like, no, only when I drive over. That's, that's weird. I don't know. Um, no, but to answer the question, um, we will sell Brad to literally the lowest bidder. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we don't have pennies in Canada anymore, so polish off them nickels. And if you're dealing in American, your penny's worth more than our nickels, so, like, you're already out of the running. <laughs> <laughs> Um, at Up the Hall asks, what minis do you use when you play in person? Literally all of them. Every mini that I can get my fucking hands on. So. I love all the minis. A little uh, peek behind the curtain. Uh, Because of the change in life that has led me to have to step back from the podcast a bit. um, Is that what we're calling it? Dan's change in life? I, I don't think menopause until you can't the podcast. <laughs> the great change. Oh, no. Uh, no, so, uh. There's been some discussions of moving, like, we have our normal D&D game at my house, and because we have our normal D&D game at my house, all of the minis that we use for D&D are also at my house. There's a problem. Most of those minis are Adam's. So I have the lion's share of Adam's minis at my house. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking we're playing at my place again. I'm like, I have another D&D game, and I use the minis. I definitely use the minis. I'm stealing Titus back one day, by the way. I think it was gifted to me, so that's getting stolen back. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, 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 we can get back. Yeah, and uh, just tell us you want it first. <laughs> you, you, you still have, yeah, because consent is important. Um, you still have um, your an uh, artificer and my Azrael as well. I don't really need them. Um, no, you still have um, your Solomon Duke, though, right? Yeah, got that guy. Yeah, sure. Go yeah. That little guy. Yeah, absolutely. We can get those guys back to you. I, oh, I believe that that if you do a thing on Hero Forge, you should take that home. If that character's retired or dead or whatever, you should you should put them on the fucking mantle. Yeah. Whose turn is it, Dan? Ariel from Facebook says, "Like a lot of players, I got back into D anD D during the pandemic. I'd played briefly in middle school during the second edition days. I hear you and lots of other D anD D podcasters." who have been DMs for years talk about the good old days of marathon sessions lasting 8 hours, 10 hours, or even longer. That's like every weekend for you guys, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is for me. Yeah. Um, now, I'm a DM in my group, and while I feel like I have a good grip of planning sessions of 2 to 4 hours, I'm really interested in how one can keep a session going that long, say for the 8 or 10 hours. From what I gather, first edition was a little bit more dungeon crawl heavy, so that makes sense. But with character backstories and larger plot arc emphasis on most modern games, this would be much harder to do. Uh, interject. No, not quite. Uh, I, have, I already know my answer. Anyways, continuing. In particular, I wonder how different DM prep styles. Um, some are intense planners. Others are more improvised. <laughs> others make shit up more. Um, yeah, they're 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> what is it? Improvisational. Okay, cool, cool. Improvisational, you bloody colonials. <laughs> Anyways, Ariel is somewhere in the middle. Um, she spends uh, about double the time it takes to plan a, to play a session on planning it. But they're getting more comfortable with ad more comfortable with ad libbing, usually because of zany character choices. But to get to a ten hour session, I'd have to do over twenty hours of prep. Otherwise, would I just wing everything? That can't be the way. So, if the It's a Mimic DMs are suddenly able to have a few ten hour sessions, how would each of you get ready to run it? I'm a huge fan of the show, and I've binged every episode since spring. There are several <laughs> excellent DM podcasts out there, but yours is absolutely the best. Well, thank you. That thank you. Yeah, made me feel so good. Yeah. Now it wasn't. We we checked that this wasn't sarcasm, right? Um, Before I reveal, I I I sense sincerity. So I hate revealing emotion on the internet at at, at all. Actually, well, so. yeah, well, th- this sounds sincere. Thank you, so, Ariel. Um, my recommendation is, and I think Adam would agree with me on this one. Um. The more you plan the periphery, the easier the improvisite the, the making shit up works. <laughs> the easier it goes. I can say it in my head just fine. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so uh plan out your gods, plan out your meta plots, plan out these uh the political environments your party is in, um, and that will help with your making it up as you go along. Um, which will then help, you know fill the time also as a dm don't feel and this is something i'm terrible at to be honest um don't feel the need to interject when your players are role-playing with each other sit back let them have a 20 minute long conversation with each other if you want to 10 if you want a 10 hour session what's the rush yeah right if everybody's having fun good if the if it's starting to be an argument about rules or meta knowledge shut it down but like if if your barbarian is having a heart-to-heart with your artificer because technology is complicated, and how am I supposed to run this bomb behind the wall? What button do I push? The big red? I don't understand this. Like, the if you're having that kind of conversation, man, just let it ride. Just absolutely let it ride. Um, finally, spreadsheets. And I feel dirty saying it, but the more you put into building a random encounter spreadsheet or a um, NPC spreadsheet, NPC spreadsheet uh, something where you could just flip a page and be like, here's this NPC already made. <clears throat> Good I'm, to go. I'm also going to say this. Item spreadsheets and room spreadsheets. And by room, I don't mean like it's a living room with a couch on the left. But just like this room feels haunted. The lights are dimmer in this room. This room is colder than it should be. The, uh, there's a broken window. There's access to the outside. Like just these little descriptions that will change. So it doesn't matter what room you walk into. You can look over on to, onto the DM screen and say, oh, here's a unique detail that, that is going to make this room feel different, right? And the moment that something feels different, they'll explore it. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing for me. Like that's my answer here is, um, so you, you talk about having the gods and the, and the politics worked out. And that's great. And I do, I do that, like, absolutely. But if I want to drag a session out, if I'm showing up to a session underprepared, how are we going to make it through this? It's really simple. I zoom right in and I start to ask the players, what do you do? How do you react? What do you think? And the more that I interview them and they have to start making decisions, A, they'll pause to come up with that decision. B, everyone else will react to it. And C, people will have different commitments to different reactions they have. Yeah. And then they're going to 
have to try to figure out how that works together. If the rogue is angry and the fighter's horny by the same fucking thing, are they going to sit there and judge like the judge each other for? It? And they fucking will. And that's going to burn three minutes of your session, right? I shut down shit when we got stuff to do, mm-hmm. right? This cross table talk, well, we got to stay focused and, and move on. But if if we're going to have a 10-hour session, and the way that I manage to have a consistent six-hour session every week that everybody seems to be happy with is um, I always have a dynamic encounter. We just started releasing um, campaign builder episodes again, yep. so yeah, dynamic yeah. encounters are, are still like very much in the forefront of my brain. So the combat is not just a combat. It turns into something else. Mm-hmm. The role play turns into something else, right? It makes them have to react and think and use resources. Um, and then, but I, and I mix it up, like here's a skill challenge and then they've got to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, here's shopping, here's downtime, here's, uh, it's never just, you guys get a short rest or a long rest. What are you doing? What are you doing during the rest? And everybody gets a chance to chime in. Yeah. Right. And so whoever's on watch gets to roll perception. And even if they roll a one, you heard nothing. And then they all get real paranoid. Right. So like there there's still stuff happening in the world. Uh, honestly the answer is be be fluid and listen to the players. Yeah. Um, um and, take notes. And be ready to give them more shit. And it's not just combat encounters. Mm-hmm. Right? If they're talking to an NPC, remember that NPC every one of my NPCs wants to talk for as long as the players will put up with them. Every one of them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, um, my my first thing is something I learned from from Adam, which is the 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 journey is just as important as getting to the destination. Everybody wants to hand wave it. Okay, it's gonna take us three days. Let's just hand wave it. Okay, you're at the base of the mountain. Off we go. But we had a lot of random or not so random encounters along the way, and it became like I say exhausting, but I don't mean it in a bad way. Tense to just try and get to where we're going. Yeah. So even if it's like, if you're getting, you know, if maybe your players have finished what they were supposed to do early, but they have to take the MacGuffin back to town. But town should be 300 miles away, right? Yeah. From wherever they are. And it will take time to get there. Uh, and so have those encounters, whether they're combat, exploratory, roleplay, whatever, prepared to just drop them in and pull them out as and when you need it. Yeah. Even and Sometimes I will make my players roll. Roll to see if you get a random encounter. I don't care what they roll. They're not having one today because I need to get to the next point. But the illusion is still there. The man behind the curtain, it still makes them think that it's happening. Or it doesn't matter what they roll. They were always going to have this random encounter because I needed it to happen because I've got to stretch this out. Yeah, and, and sorry, and that, that's the other thing about random encounters as well, as far as stretching it out goes, mm-hmm. is if I want you guys to roll a random encounter and the random encounter is three goblins, you don't run into three goblins. The random encounter is you hear a scream in the distance. Yes. Yeah. And then four hours later, you come across a body face down in the dirt. And then after that, you see graffiti etched on a boulder on the side of the road in goblinoid. Right, and you will eventually meet the three goblins, but every one of these minor encounters builds that, and those three goblins become a centerpiece. Yeah, of the session, and yeah, that's a good point as well. It's when when we say random encounters, we don't just mean you happen upon people on the road. Three goblins are walking the other way. Yeah, it shouldn't go down like that. It you know it's exactly what you just said, or. A goblin runs by waving something interesting and is being chased by, I don't know, orcs on wargs or something. And they're all going that way. And they go, they're going to follow it. They go, what the fuck has he got? And then off you go. Now you've got a chase. Now you've got a skill challenge. Now, 
and it feeds it. But my second point that I wanted to make uh, was I, I often will have these like mini side quests ready to go for if something comes up that disrupts it. We have one at my table uh, where two players couldn't make it. So they have like, I always have like little arch nemesis of the, of the uh, particular characters mm. ready to drop in whenever. I think I learned that from you as well. Yeah. <laughs> ready to drop in. And those two players couldn't make it to that session. So their person that's after them, portal opens, easy way to do it, grabs them, pulls them in, off they go. So that means that the next time when I get back, I can just deal with that for a couple of hours and then we're back on track. Yeah. 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 I was going to say one last little thing. If you are spending twice as long per session to plan as the length of the session itself, you're going to do yourself a bit of a disservice. Um, and what I think you're doing is perhaps over planning the minutia of the session mm -hmm. in that case. So um, this, I'm not going to say the big bad railing railroading word, but uh, feel free. The reason why I say things like, and we've said this, like spreadsheets, using spreadsheets and these random encounters and stuff is because if you spend a couple hours building random encounters, that frees you up to your session prep being, okay, I need to reveal this tidbit of information. I need to be flexible with where I put this in, but it will be revealed during the session, during one of these random encounters or this you know, set piece encounter at the end of the session. That way, all you're doing is you're prepping really one session. You have a couple plot points, you know, you need to drop in there somewhere and then you're free to go because you're relying on your um, spreadsheets. Um, That's going and, to drastically reduce yeah. your prep time. And recycle your spreadsheets. The only thing that you need to change is you know, if, if you've got your spreadsheet of 20 different goblins and they've all got a different personality quirk about them or a different description to them, go in change the goblin to null and change the color of everything. All of the blues are now reds. And now you have a brand new spreadsheet, you've recycled it. And because your players only ever saw three options on that, it'll feel fresh. It'll feel brand new to them and you've already done the work. It takes no time to copy paste, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. My question, Alexander another skip Davis asks, "What in 5th edition are you getting sick of?" That when it appears in 6th or 7th edition will make you throw up your mouth <laughs> a little bit. Like Giant Space Hamsters and Kender. F you, Boo, and Tasselhoff. I fucking like Giant Space Hamsters. I like... I I, I don't know how I feel about them. Um, If I can be... Uh, yeah, fuck Kender, though. Yeah, oh yeah, no. Yeah, un unequivocally. Fuck yeah. Him. What do I What do I dislike Um, in 5th in edition that I'm going to be pissed gets ported over? To 6th or 7th. I've got my answer. Yeah, what's your answer? You go first. The lack of experience points. No, yeah, okay, no, look. The, the, <laughs> not, not, not the lack of a thing. What is the thing that exists that you're going to be pissed at? Milestone leveling. You don't like you don't milestone like leveling? I have been missing experience points more and more and more the longer I've been playing in five. Go play World of Warcraft. In the same, in the, do you think it should be done in the same way that it used to be? Like, Oh, hell, heavy? hell fucking no. No, no, it does need to be properly balanced. Um, but I miss experience points. I miss having that quantitative thing. Like this is what we're working towards. Um, milestone is great if you have a heavy narrative campaign and you know where those beats are. But the one thing, um, I have felt being in a heavy narrative campaign is there are times where you will spend months at level four. And I mean, you'll be taking care of big bads. You'll be killing things, but I mean, months at the same level. The narrative is supposed to drive you, but there's still going to be that level that needs to, like, the, that that leveling up process that I feel like needs to still be there. So, mm -hmm. um, what do you think if 
the uh, criteria for leveling, for milestone leveling, is made known. You did it with the rod, I remember, the yeah. rod of seven parts, I think. Uh, and it was every time you collect a piece, you will level up. I haven't announced it at my table, but it's just in my mind. Every time they kill a named dragon or they collect a dragon mask, carrying dragons, they will level up. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that? No, I, I, I like that. And like our current campaign, we have just got to a point where like there were clear milestones that we had to hit to to get to our levels. Um, what I do at my party is I've got, it's kind of a weird mix of experience and milestone. Like I, I know they'll be close, so I'll, I'll give them the level. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I miss the leveling up the traditional way. I mean, I could do it again and realize I still hate it and go back to milestone to be completely honest. Yeah. It's just like that nostalgia, nostalgia of yeah. like leveling, leveling up the old fashioned way. Um, but I also played Barbarian, so I leveled up by breaking magic items. So, hey. Um, what's the thing that I hate from 5th edition? Uh, the PDFs. The Infernal Machines should have been included in Baldur's Gate. The extra fucking monsters that they just released for Spelljammer should have been included in that very light box set that didn't have enough shit in it. There are a lot of just PDFs that are... Mordenkainen's Fiendish Folio, Volume 1. We never got a Volume 2 because it was clearly half-assed that they did this. Mm -hmm. Um, Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy was fucking phenomenal. If they had done that three more times, they should have released a fucking book, right? These these half-baked PDFs seem like bullshit to me. They should... They own D&D Beyond now. Release... New shit every two weeks on D&D Beyond. Have the whole year be a theme and at the end of the year release it as a hardcover. The D&D Beyond people get it first. Yeah. It's a subscription basis and at the end you can buy it in hardcover if you want, right? For the people like me that are the, the classicists, right? But like, no, that this this bits and pieces of trickling semi-canon maybe. It's the world it's we bullshit. live in now. Yeah. It's bullshit is what it is. It's, it it's is. the Patreon-funded uh, content creator way. Right, no, and that's that, what Hasbro's trying to go with. No, that's not, I don't think that's what this is. This is them saying um, we have little bits and pieces that people liked from our Unearthed Arcana. Uh, we don't know how to work it into a thing. We're surprised that people liked this shit, and we don't have enough balls to cut it completely or to publish it because we ran out of time or resources yeah. or we fired somebody or whatever. Like, just fucking release the book when the book is done. Stop hitting fucking deadlines and giving us bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, my uh, my point for this one, this isn't 5th edition specific, but it came about during the, the era of 5th edition. Why are they releasing minis with, it's the dragons actually, where the, the base does not fit the size category of the dragon. Oh, so right. the young dragon Fuck. is the huge. And, and, <laughs> the but, gelatinous but, cube. But then it's the gelatinous cube is a great fucking. It says base does not match size category or worse to that effect. And I'm like. Then why is it here? Why does it exist? Why am I paying for this right now yeah. if I can't use it technically by your rules? One of the things that I want to do, because I have a lot of minis that are like that, and, and it's always the huge minis. So the problem was they wanted to release young and adult dragons, but they were so fucking big they don't fit in the box. So they just downsize the mini and say, good enough, right? Which drives me up the fucking wall. But my solution to that is to, you can just buy the bases, like yeah. a little pack of bases, and glue the smaller base onto the bigger base, and then do the the terrain on it and glue the terrain and, and make your mini pretty and shit. That annoys me that you have to do that, but that is my solution to it. You're right. That shit drives me up the fucking wall. They are getting better about it, but it's not completely there yet. 
And I swear, I can't confirm this, that the young dragon, there's two different price points, right? There's like the price point of the huge creatures, which is about like $20 Canadian. And then there's the, like the smaller minis, but I'm sure the young dragons went under the smaller price point before. And now they're like, oh, I remember (laughs) here's back in my day when D&D minis first came out as a tabletop war game. That had their own certain rules. That they that each box came with cards that you could run the minis with. Um, I had a massive collection of them. Um, my former roommate stole them all and sold them. We've um, told this story. Yeah, we've Keep told the story. Yeah. Anyways, I'm still bitter about it. Those boxes were like sixteen bucks, and you got like twenty five models. Yeah. Now you're paying twenty nine dollars for four. If I can be honest, the quality I, did go up though. The quality went way the fuck up. Right, but I also. Uh, I don't like the random pulls, and I know that I know why they do that, right? It's the same thing with the magic cards and Pokemon cards and everything else. Yeah. I get the random pulls. Hell, sports cards do that. Like, I get that. But man, just I I, I know I've got driders in the next fucking session. Let me buy fucking driders. Yeah. Right? Like just sell them one by one at double the price because I will fucking pay it to get the mini I want. Yeah. Or have the random pulls be be cheaper. Like fuck, fuck. I now, I'm mad, now I'm mad about minis. I minis. accidentally bought the wrong random pull box i thought i was buying two packs together but it was like one of the larger expansion packs you know and i opened it up and there's a huge creature inside i just did that with fizz bands i thought i bought two fizz bands and it was just one i think it might have been fizz bands it was one i got uh and i got the like the young sea serpent or whatever it was inside it's a huge creature but it was 45 dollars, and i was like this is one huge creature for 45 dollars. but i know for a fact i can walk back in and buy two giants for less than that, they're twenty bucks each. Like the, I yeah, but, ripped but, off. But, no, no, but the difference is the the what did you say? It was a sea serpent. Yeah, um, it was painted. Yeah, no, I mean I'm not the best painter in the world, but I, I can paint it better than that. And by the way, I like to paint my own minis. I just bought the wrong thing. That's all. Yeah. Um, at your boysy baby wants to know some good storytelling skills. Good storytelling skills. Um, I feel like listen to the campaign builder, <laughs> right? Um, one of the dozen of DM tips episodes we have on the subject. Yeah, uh, I. What's one off the top of your head, guys? One good storytelling skill that you have. Um, I like to have a framework to work around to get people engaged, and it's usually like, um, like a framework like the the hero and the villain, or like the idea of like the the dragon attacking the city. Whatever your dragon is, whatever your city is. So it's like you're overcoming something difficult, like something that everybody can kind of, uh, can kind of get behind. So that kind of framework, um. It's tough to say. There is actually, not that I should advertise another product. If you're serious about this, whoever you are, there is a product out there called Storyteller Tactics. And it's this card, box of cards. And in it, there's a whole bunch of tactics. It's like recipes. You can mix them together and do different things with it. I use it all the time at work for like presentations and stuff. And it does help me with my, with uh, D&D, with DMing. Um, so there's products like that where it's a, I'd look for something like that. Storyteller tactics is a good one. Um, well, Dan's thinking, um, uh, every setting is a room. And by that, I mean, uh, there are rooms within rooms within rooms when you are storytelling. Uh, when I am describing a location, I think about the scope and the zooming in and zooming out, um, of that scope. And that is how I control the fluidity of my game. This is part of the, actually how I make some sessions longer or shorter as well. Uh, if I know, like Terry said, like if we got to get back to the city, I will zoom out and instead of rolling a random encounter once every six hours, I'll roll it once a day, right? And so the room just got bigger. 
And instead of me talking about the path that we're on right now and the lake off to your left, I talk about the forest in general. The room, the description, I give the same amount of description to every room. Mm -hmm. If you walk into a parlor and uh, you look around and there's a fireplace in the corner and bookshelves and a desk, and, and I will describe it, I will give the same, roughly the same amount of time to the description of the entire room as I will to the house when they first see it that the room was within. And I'll give the same amount of description to the desk when they go over to roll an investigation check on the desk. Because the house is one big room, the parlor is a room within the house, the desk is a room within the parlor. And so I will be able to zoom in and zoom out with my description and my setting. Um, and if it's nothing, if I just want them to move forward, then I give it a very simple description. And my players, I don't know if they're aware of it, but it's definitely the language that we use to communicate now if it's just a normal desk. Or the desk is made out of uh, mahogany, the door's open with no problem, or the drawer's open with no problem. There's nothing interesting here. They know there's yeah. nothing interesting here because I did not make that desk a room. I made it an item in the room. Yeah. The lake is just an item in the room unless it's time to go to the lake you're taking a rowboat across the lake, and now the lake is the room, right? So determine whether or not a thing is a room or an item within a room. That's that's good. This is a question where I think it deserves more, right? And it's, uh, you know, sometimes we'll put it on the spot with these things, and that was a really good answer. But, you know, like, mine was not what I wanted it to be. But it is something that I'm passionate about with this game. And so maybe we should do something with that. <laughs> Just move on. Adam, Adam basically has to go do some of that. Um, we need another, another short series. But there's so yeah, much sure. There's so much to it, right? We're talking about building tension. We're talking about people being engaged. We're talking about how to frame the story. There is a lot to it. Uh, so, I mean, a quick thing for me is there always needs to be some sort of difficulty to overcome. There always needs to be tension. There has to be conflict. Yeah. A conflict, a ticking clock is always good as well. Um, uh, because if everything is happy, nobody cares about things being happy. All right. Would you rather have a ticking clock or a tickling cock? <laughs> so, Maddie Yangao. My cock's been tickling for a couple of weeks now, actually. Have see a, a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Ah, he's got, he's been infested with chul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. Um, okay, now, I'm going to read this. Uh, okay, now, also, question Yaha on listening to you in this episode. Talk about narrative payoff in Chekhov's gun. Oh, yeah. Forgot we did these. Yeah. How does that work with interactions or things that are more mundane? Curse of Strahd has random encounters which don't necessarily need to be fully fleshed out, or there is a bridge early on in Barovia where there are some stone gargoyles and going rules as written, nothing happens. My players found crossing the bridge a little anticlimactic and it didn't go like I thought. I had figured having mundane things are good to offset the other stuff and it also makes it feel more lived in and real organic. Do you ever have this issue? Okay. Um, All right, hold on. Before wait, anything else, check Chekhov's gun. For those of you who don't remember that episode, uh, Chekhov's gun is a general rule in theater uh, and also, I guess, in film now. Uh, if you show a gun, it has to go off by the end, otherwise it feels unresolved. Do not pull out a, a firearm unless you intend for it to go off. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is kind of the idea of what he's talking about is the idea of unresolved items or set pieces or settings or villains or NPCs or whatnot. And my big thing was never introduce anything unless you plan on it getting resolved eventually. Um, especially with magic items. I don't like yeah. to hand out magic items unless I expect that they're going to be used. So I never give something that's super fucking powered because I expect it will be used. Um, anyway, Terry, you, you go first because I've got my answer. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited about this one. Okay, so 
we said rules is written there, right? Yeah. But yeah. we were talking. It, it's not really a rule what they're referring to. I know what they're referring to in Curse of Strahd. But with these things are just because the module has something written out a certain way doesn't mean you have to stick exactly to that. These modules yeah. are designed to be molded and crafted and and cater it to your players and their backstories. And yes, it may be anticlimactic then, but it is not over. Those gargoyles must come back, or the bridge must come back. Yeah. And it's up to you to do... It It should not be anticlimactic, it should be mysterious. What was all that about? Where, when? What does this mean? Is what it well, the, the, follow the tone of the campaign you're running, right? Like, if you are playing a wacky, funhouse kind of campaign, where everything's poop jokes and uh, dick jokes... Um, having a super serious gothic bridge crossing with like stone gargoyles that just, um, defy, uh, your sense of safety almost like there's, there's something intriguing about these gargoyles. It's out of place. Right. And, and your, your mundanity has to have a, it has to match the tone of the campaign you're running in. Yeah. Right. But nothing is ever, there's mundane is in we have mundane and magical items. But nothing is mundane is in boring. It, it must come back later. It's up to you mm. as the DM to figure out how to introduce that. These these things are just tools along the way. Like trinkets is a big thing in Strahd, yeah. right? But there's nothing specific written about what to do with that trinket. It's just ammunition for you as the DM. Hey, you rolled on the random table. They came across this little charm necklace or something. What does that mean? And you don't know yet. But you would just get through this session, and then you will be able to figure it out for the future. So, for this one in particular, and here's here's my perfect example, because I just ran I ran that bridge w- twice within the last six months. Uh, once with Mieka, because she was doing uh, one-off, and then afterwards with my Sunday group with Dan and Megan and Dave in it, because they then followed in her footsteps afterwards across the bridge. And I ran across the bridge and went... That's boring as fuck. So what I ended up doing was I said those gar- those gargoyles are there for a reason. Everything has a reason. What is the reason? And so the reason is they were there to be a warning and an encouragement because legend has it. And I dropped this legend back in the Vistani camp beforehand for Mieka. So she heard the legend. Um, legend has it that there was a woman uh, who actually stole uh, the story from a play that I did years ago. There's a woman who was a common woman and there was, she fell in love with a noble man. They had babies. He denied her and got married to a noble woman. She then threw the babies off the bridge and drowned herself. And now she haunts the bridge. That's it. But, and so the idea was um, you should not cross um, when you cannot see the sun. But of course, in Barovia, you can never see the sun, mm-hmm. right? So it's old legend from way before Barovia got sunk into the shadow fell. And so I told this story around the Vistani campfire. She went, wow, that's really, really cool. And if you hear a scream, get across the bridge as quickly as possible. The two gargoyles on the end each had a plaque. One that said, beware and cross quickly. And was the gargoyle was actually a person running. And the other one was, your life is worthwhile, don't jump. And it was uh, like a, a motherly figure... Uh, with arms outstretched to give a hug. Mm-hmm. Now there is purpose, right? And then, of course, because Mieka's character went across the bridge, um, they heard a scream and they looked up and saw a woman jumping off of the waterfall and then climbing up at rapid speeds up the side of the bridge to then attack the people on there. And um, and one of their wagons had a wheel break in the middle of it. So there's my tension. There's the whole thing. And the woman came and I gave her like big like necrotic sucking the moisture out of the out of whatever she touches and all that shit. 
Mika left a couple of NPCs and a horse and abandoned the wagon. Dan's party then ran across a wagon blocking their way on the bridge. So we fixed it and took it. So, Why they, not? but they stopped to do it, and this woman comes screaming down the waterfall and climbing up, and again, tension. Again, Mistakes right? were made. Mistakes were made. Yeah. <laughs> so, the point is, when you see these things that are clearly a Chekhov's gun issue, you're going to read it in the module and go, why the fuck is this here besides just gloomy bridge, gargoyles, have a reason. No statue is ever erected without a plaque in any one of my worlds. Yeah. That plaque might get worn down. It might be in a language you can't speak. It might have been removed. It might be damaged in some way. Or it might be lying. But it is there. Yeah. 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 And the people that write these books, they don't know your table. They don't know your party. They don't know their backstories. They're just, hey, here's something you can build on. Mm-hmm. But this is not the full picture. My question, King of Rot asks... Hi, Adam wished this into existence in episode 174, the Ranger Uh-oh. episode. Uh-oh, what did I wish into existence? Dan, what is the texture and surface quality of a scrotum? Yes, I did wish that into existence. Dan, please be descriptive. What is the question? What is the texture and surface quality of a scrotum? It depends on a few things. It depends on temperature. A lot depends on how much activity you've been doing, if you've been in water. Uh, also, it depends on what kind of activities you've been doing. If you've just ejaculated, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It depends on whether or not you keep a shorn scrotum as well, or if you like to let your heroes, warriors main, mm-hmm. you know, really grow We out. don't, we, they don't sponsor us anymore. We don't have to talk about that. Right. <laughs> it's this time of year, too. Oh, Dan, it's been a year, Dan, okay? They never did. <laughs> Anyways, next. <laughs> no, no, come on, Dan. What's your answer? Uh, no, we uh, just answered it. We're no, fine. Okay, so it depends. Dan, specifically for you right now. They might <laughs> genuinely be asking. Uh, here, I, 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 no, 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 I just want to say, I'm not going to describe my scrotum to anyone whose username is the King of Rot. Fair one. Maybe they're asking <laughs> to know if theirs is healthier. If, if it was, if he was the Queen of Rot. No, if he was the King of Cupping. Maybe. Nathaniel Whiting sent us a message to the website saying, Hey everyone, huge fan of the podcast and I love it and listen regularly. Quick question, and I imagine Adam will call some kind of dipshit normie for asking. <laughs> uh, when do you guys plan to cover giants in a portfolio podcast? Just curious, they've historically been my favorite monster, so I'm anxiously waiting for your takes and opinions. Good news. Uh, yeah, good news is we're currently on the second season of Giants. This is clearly one of the older questions. I have this question on mine as well, actually, Did, so you? I'm just going to cross uh, it off. All right. right. Um, so, uh, no, you're not a, you're not a dipshit normie for asking that shit. There are, there are clearly things that we have not covered. We have touched on zombies and skeletons, but other than that, we've steered clear of undead altogether. Um, we don't really touch on Fae. We don't really get too deep into constructs, and we have never done a deep dive on drow. These are things that I'm hyper aware of that we just have not gotten into because, um, A, they're either way too big and deep to get into or require three or four episodes. Yep. We haven't been able to work into the schedule. Uh, B, um, I don't think that we have the right people to have that conversation around the table. Um, for example, I think that drow should be covered by a table of women. Just from what I know about drow lore, I think it's more interesting yeah. than hearing a bunch of middle-aged white guys on the internet talk about drow again or that shit's out there already and we're not adding anything new to the conversation so we're going to focus on inspiring and giving opinions on shit that other people aren't really talking about so that's why giants was held back it was until uh, we were confident that there would be two people with unique perspectives that were very passionate that could sit down and do this on the side arrange a special series themselves and come at it with a whole new perspective and their perspective of course is wine yes (laughs) and getting shit-faced on every episode so (laughs) 
So that is that's why the giants have now come out. Why we didn't end up tackling them before. Um, that's why we do cover things like hags. I think we had interesting things to say about hags. Yeah. I wasn't trying anything interesting to say about a stone giant. Right. So that's and that's just it. Um, now that we have more voices on the podcast, we're able to start thinking about these options more. And the good news as well is that we have another giants book coming out that's very similar to Fizzbands. It's coming out um, in the next year, and we'll definitely be tackling it the way that we've been tackling dragons and Fizzbands with uh, Terry and Peps. Yeah. Know. Awesome. So you know that's. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to work that into the regular rotation, too. So, um, yeah. So, that's that's that. Beauty. Nathaniel. <coughs> Alexander Another Skip Davis asks another question. And this time, it is, how much is a gemstone made of, am I right, worth in your campaign? All right. So, I do I do a thing which is which is hilariously dumb and just, and just moronic, where I got sick and tired of people saying... Am I right, you guys? It was a thing that everyone was saying like 15 years ago. I just said, right, right? Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. And yeah. Oh, fuck. I got so annoyed with it. So I started to mock them online by by making it all one word. A-M-I-R-I-T-E. Am I right? And he is the only person that latched onto that and said, oh, that sounds like a gemstone. Uh, it is It is worth uh, exactly 500 Reddit coins. Um, <laughs> I, I would also like to say there is a gemstone called Amorite, which is a exclusively canadian gemstone like it's only found within like the canadian oh i changed shield. my answer then it was that thing, I was <laughs> that thing. <laughs> um and it's got like a oily I, like i my mom makes necklaces and stuff i know my gems i know my rocks so like amorite is it's got this weird like oily sheen on it looks really really cool and it's in the chasidoni you will talk about about your rocks that you know and the quality and texture of them but not about your stones or the quality and texture of them, which we just asked you like three questions. Not about. to a person named King of Rot. Sure. What about a person named Adam? Because I'm legitimately Adam. We've had this discussion with spreadsheets and examples. We did spread some sheets. That's true. true. All right. Okay, my question. <clears throat> Strap in. This one's a bit personal. Strap on? In? As well. <laughs> This one's a bit personal, and I don't mind if you choose not to. We answer. literally were I just talking right. about my balls. When we well, <laughs> here we go. We're, here we go. So strap <laughs> it. Um, I think when we first started doing these mailbag episodes, we said, "Hey, if anything comes up, we don't want to touch them. We don't have to touch it." But whatever. Okay, let's. I don't think we ever said that. No, I said we will answer literally everything. However, we reserve the right to say no comment. Sure. Lessons in Detriment says, there's a bit of a story. Okay, so I was out for drinks with a few people the other day, and we ended up swapping losing your virginity stories, and by far... Fuck me. God damn it. (laughs) By far, the funniest one was a girl who said she was whitewater rafting when the boat hit a massive rapid, and she got tossed up and down, and came down intimately on someone else's big toe. I died. And that's how she lost her virginity. Okay, first of all, I don't believe that for a fucking second. (laughs) I don't believe that for a fucking second. I'm not saying this person is lying. I'm saying they may have been misled. Check your friend out. It sounds like she gets off on lying or something. Maybe she didn't get enough attention, well, but I don't believe it. Well, uh, it depends on what you mean by losing your virginity. Because if virginity is... All right, here we go. Buckle up. I'm getting into it. If virginity is... Before we that's do... That's not the question. Can I go get beers? Sure. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Well, Dan is doing that. Finish the question, Terry. The question is, who has the best losing your virginity story? Oh, Dan. I don't think I was good. I was just going to say... I don't think anybody has a good losing your virginity story because nobody's an expert on their first round, but whatever. Maybe some are more interesting than others. Okay, so first of all, the idea of losing your virginity means different things to different people because Thanks, the Dan. question is... You weren't giving that to me, to Adam. <laughs> is, we're, yeah, we, we're going to need this for this question. 
Um, who asked this? Um, lessons in detriment. Um, this is a... <laughs> yeah, well, I know, right? That this is a this is a mature podcast with mature people on it, or so we like to pretend. It's clearly not made for kids. If you're a child or you are particularly sensitive, here's your trigger warning. Skip ahead about three minutes. Um, virginity means different things to different people. Some people will... Because there are different kinds of sex that you can have. Some people say that it is vaginal sex. Some people say it's when the hymen is broken. Some people say different things for different people. Um, I think it means different things to different boys, especially, who will brag about shit that may or may not have happened when they're like fucking 14. Oh, yeah, I totally have. And I'm like, no, dude, you just walked nuts first into a door and, and, you know, said, hey, you know what? It happened, right? So um, I know that uh, there are... Girls and women who have been hit in that general region and it's broken the hymen, they say, I've technically lost my virginity. Especially horseback riding, I know. Yeah, it's, that's true. So I feel like if she came out hard enough on somebody's foot, then yeah, that like that sounds brutal, especially flopping around whitewater rafting. That could happen. That sounds rough, and I feel bad for her, but I wouldn't say it's losing your... That's not an intimate, hap, you know? Anyway. It's like medically you may have done, but I mean... Okay, so I do know this, and I'm not going to out anybody on the podcast. I'm not. Uh, who has who has the best story was the question. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to out the person, um, but I will tell their story. They were getting intimate with uh, their significant other for the first time when one of their parents walked in and interrupted it. Oh, and, fuck yeah. and completely unaware of the fact that the parent was doing this, the parent sat on the edge of the bed and had a 20-minute conversation with them. Because the parent was unaware of what was going on. What was going on under the blankets. And so they sat there and had to awkwardly sit there for 20 fucking minutes. And then the parent left the room. And then they finished. (laughs) Then they just walked right back in. Because they were horny teenagers and it was the first time. Good job trying to stop a teenage boy in particular as well. Hey, I'm sorry, you got to stop. Okay, you don't know how this works. Strikingly similar to mine, where my old uh, bedroom was like the basement room. Oh, yeah. And we had a TV up. And uh, my dad at two o'clock. Well, I know in the it wasn't morning, Dan. I just added. So. No, no. My dad at two o'clock in the morning, what came to let the dog out? Me and my significant other were uh, not watching TV, but the TV was on. Yeah. Um, and my dad knew exactly what was going on the moment he walked into that room. Fuck yeah. <laughs> let the dog out. Looked at us. Nodded. Oh, he looked. Oh yeah, no, like he looked. He, he we were covered. We were in covers, like we were just awkwardly cuddling. He didn't and, want to see you, Dad. No, no, no. He he nodded, <laughs> grabbed the dog, and left. And then the next morning, gave me a high five on his way out to work. Well, nah. And I was like, okay, then, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beauty. Um. Okay, that was you. So the next question is, um, Shatner pants again. <laughs> Fuck. Have you ever kicked a player out of your game? If so, why? Uh, yes, one of them is in this room. Yeah, you guys fucking voted me out of a fucking... Yeah, we, we Survivor Island Adam out of the game um, way back when. Um, and it wasn't so much because Adam was a douchebag. Uh, it was more that uh, there were some fairly severe personality conflicts and we did not handle the situation well. And you I've apologized. It's it's still one of those glaring issues. I've I've straight up blown up groups just because I cannot handle the personality conflicts in them anymore. Um, the personality conflict of the group, by the way, was I said I would say yes, I'm coming, and then had a child to look after at home, mm. and had to drive 45 minutes to D and D, and someone was relying on rides, and I, and I would say by you know when school gets out, I'm sorry, the mother of this child has to work late. I'm not coming to D and D. 
Yeah. That was apparently enough to get voted off the fucking island. Uh, it's, so. It happens. I'm going to say, I know we technically have a story along those yeah. lines, um, but this was before Dan. And we, uh, we've before. told, in the before times. In the before times. But I don't even, I don't even really count that. Count yeah. that. Cause it was, it's not like we were playing with them for like a year or something. Or we, got like, we got eight sessions, if that. Like yeah, I don't even six. think that. Yeah. I don't even think that far. Like I but don't even only I don't, that far. You only got that far with the guy. I don't even yeah. think about it anymore. The only time it comes up is if like I consider that his character is the main villain in our campaign. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny how that came back around. Like, I really don't. I, I consider that campaign as basically starting at, I think it was my house is where it started at first. And that, that's how I just imagined. And everything else before that was like, pff, whatever. It doesn't even matter. Um, so really, no. I have kicked one person out, and they're sitting in this room. And that was a conversation I had with Terry when your whole personal life, your work and everything else was going totally sideways. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Terry, I know that you are super distracted. The podcast needs you. Pick one, right? Podcast or or I didn't Dan even... and I sat down. We're like podcast or 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 D and D. Which one? And then like we made we made a yeah. And I didn't even I know that it's like okay. So yes, technically I was kicked out of that group, but I didn't. And and it was it's in the same way that. But I didn't. I honestly really didn't count that. No, that because and then I you com- joined the Tuesday night like three months later. Because right? it, given this situation, right, which I'm not going to voice over the air, I completely understood, and it absolutely made sense, and I agreed with it. I yeah. agreed with it. So it's not like what the fuck it, you it, guys are kicking it was, me out. It was an awkward conversation. I had to be like Terry. Oh, and fuck. Well, but but <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't you, conflict avoidance here, it, like no, no, because it was just. Life the timing thing in that if you didn't have that conversation with me, I was going to have it with you yeah. probably the next week or as soon as, you know, I'd figured everything else out. And it was just going to be, hey, obviously <laughs> I can't do this. And obviously I will be the person that does not, that yeah. does not keep going. So, yes, technically I was kicked out of a group. But if it's okay with you guys, I don't really count it as that. I don't really count it as that. Either, I was going to remove myself anyway, given the circumstances. Yeah. You know, Dan said, I've kicked someone out and I'm like, in the room... When did you kick out Terry? Because I'd forgotten. That oh, was, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I kicked out Terry. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> uh, King of Rot asks, uh, no, um, again, I'm not telling you the intimate details of my testicles. Um, but he also asks. Is this about your taint? No, uh, no. This this is a nice, easy question. Adam, why? So, um, I know that this is just being like shitty and, and asking this hilarious question. You'll, you'll answer anything. But here we go. Here's a legit story of uh, me in grade eight on the first day of science class where I had a really cool science teacher who wanted to teach everybody um, uh, about kind of the scientific method about questioning things and then having a hypothesis and then going to prove it and whatnot. And so we started off day one, the only assignment on the first day of science class, he put up on the on the board, he said, answer this question and handed it in at the end of the of the uh of the day and the question was why and that was it and everyone in the class declared this bullshit like all 13 year olds are going to right this is a waste of time what do you mean some people had like little panic attacks about it but the general consensus was because and me being kind of shitty about literally everything in my life when i was a 13 year old boy i i wrote down uh why not? And I was the only one that got full marks and that everybody else got a zero. Because that is the scientific method. If you can't prove why, prove why not. Mm. Right? Like, and and so he turned that into the lesson plan for the next day. And he says only about one person out of every like five or six years actually gets this right. Which surprises me now that I like look back on that. Who was but, that? 
that was at Scott Creek. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you would not know them. No. So, um, but it has stuck with me my entire life. The idea of don't just ask why, also ask why not. And it is a very good storytelling technique that I think about as well, um, it, which is to say, don't just understand why a thing is happening. Understand why it didn't happen until now and why it has to happen now, and why these people have to do it, and why it has to happen here. Mm. And once you understand all of that, you will understand the scenario better than just knowing why. No. That, that's a really so there you answer. Go. So shitty little question, but there's my... my you actually answer. learned something yeah. there. That was a good answer. No. Yeah. My, 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 well, my answer was going to be the, the Afro man. <laughs> Fuck off, Dan. <laughs> uh, Colton Adrian asks, if society collapsed tomorrow and stores are empty and there was nothing on the shelves... What is one item that you would want an unlimited supply of? Water would be good. <laughs> Water, yeah. I mean, don't make that deal with the devil. You'll end up in an ocean, but you know what I mean. Um, processed antibiotics. Yeah, true that. I'd have been dead a dozen times over by now in my own personal life just from having strep throat or fucking yeah, like cutting my finger. I have <laughs> a little scar on this elbow, which is tiny now, which was from like a flesh-eating thing I got when I was like 10 years old. Holy and it's shit. like, well, that would have consumed me. Yeah. So. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Uh, both of those fantastic answers. Uh, you going to say Rogaine? Rude. <laughs> so rude. Fucking. It's why? Because so you're not on the podcast anymore. I've got eight months I, Yes, but I've still got you in my personal life weekly. Well, should we do it as like luxuries or like necessities? I mean, like. Okay, so if it's one item. Okay, what's your. Ammunition. Bullshit. You want to know what's going to get you further than any one of those answers in an actual post apocalyptic thing, assuming other people are around and alive and you're able to barter? Yes. The answer is alcohol. Alcohol can be used for medical purposes, it can be used for sterilization and cleaning purposes, it can be used for recreational purposes, but mostly it can be used for fucking trade, because everybody needs all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol. That's, that's the answer. Pr- that's a pretty solid answer. Alcohol. Yeah. There we go. Um, Tarzan of the Desert says, <laughs> this one's for Adam. Are we ever going to get an episode about your homebrew pantheon, or maybe just a copy of the PDF? Love you guys. Thanks for adding to the hobby. <laughs> can uh, I just, just real quick? Yeah. I went through a full mental thing of just imagining Tarzan looking up, looking for a vine to swing on in the middle of a fucking barren desert and just be like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, as for the Pantheon, um, yes, we'll do episodes about it sometime in the future. It is technically on the plan to do within the next two years. Um, I think that's one of the ones but, that I've already agreed to sit in on because I've got my own Pantheon as well. Uh, no, I've got I've got my own. Oh yeah, like, okay. I've got plans on for this one, but it is bottom of the barrel. We do prefer to stick to the actual, you know, Watsy stuff. Yeah, the published material that everybody has some some context for instead of our own homebrew shit. As a matter of fact, when I'm watching YouTube or I'm listening to podcasts or whatnot, and I often go to D and D channels and listen to, to different podcasters or personalities, and the moment they start talking about my own personal homebrew rule for how to, I I zone right. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I've got my way that works just fine, and I know what the original official way is, and I bet I've read something better on Reddit or, or just run into another DM out in the wild that has a better idea. You're not going to change my fucking world with this. So I skipped that video or that episode or whatever. So for me, these are the least interesting episodes to do. But I would like to break it down, and I've got a couple of players actually that I would bring in um, who are relatively new to the campaign who should learn the fucking world. Yeah. Because three of my players have been in multiple campaigns, um, and two of them have not been. Three of them have not been. So, yeah. so I, I'll, I might bring them in on that. So there, there's your answer. We may get around to it. it we'll have plans to get around to it, but if something interesting happens, we will bump it. King of Rot asks, what's your advice and our experience running a three-way... Wait. 
Uh, oh, sorry, no, running three-way battles in D&D. thought this was going to be another furniture question. Um, context, I'm running a campaign arc where a bunch of drow are going to steal from a magic item auction. They get caught by basically the vampire KGB, and the PCs get stuck in the middle of the whole thing. Thanks. How do you run three-way battles? Uh, group-like NPCs and uh, combatants together. In initiative. In initiative. Um, and uh, honestly, don't overwhelm the uh, action economy. It, uh, pretty much everything I run is a three-way fucking battle because I always have a group of neutral NPCs that are just trying to survive, right? That will defend themselves very fucking poorly. Um, and uh, and then monsters and then the heroes, right? So, yeah. Um, I, I do exactly what you do. I lump all... The NPCs all go on the same turn. Yeah. I kind of treat them as layer actions, to be honest. Just the yeah. inverse. Like, they yeah. go on turn zero. Yeah, I always... I tend to put them... As a matter of fact, I will roll dice to, for initiative all the different monsters but i will just roll the handful of dice and where the dice land on the map uh like in my dice tray is which monster on the map it corresponds to so that's how i do my math yeah yeah um, I've, done, and, I've done that too and then whichever one the npcs are just drop to zero they go at the end because i always want the players and the monsters to be showcased yeah so but for a legitimate three-way battle um i think that it is <sighs> I would I would roll the outcomes of uh, facing off ahead of time. Have have what do you mean? You don't need to watch me figure out whether or not these guys have advantage on this or what modifiers are they adding, how much damage they do, how many hit points are left. If I'm running a massive battle where there are forty pieces on the map as well as the players, is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to roll all of the rolls ahead of time and then determine whether or not on average they would hit or miss. And I'm going to print it out. I've actually done this. I did it in a session you weren't at, Dan, where there was um, there was executions that were happening in a big courtyard, and you your character got polymorphed into a dragon. For a oh moment. yes, yeah. Um, but there were so many NPCs and so many undead, and there's so much shit going on. That I rolled it all, and so when it would come to their turn, I would roll a die just to show that I was rolling a die, and then I would say, oh, they hit, because I was just hitting the next hit or miss, how much damage was I doing? And the damage was enough to kill, enough to maim, or it's superficial. Right. And that was it, right? And there was no tracking. It was just me saying, this happens, this happens, this happens. You gotta remember, when you're running a massive set-piece battle like that, the people who you are doing it for is yourself and the players. So if you are bogging down combat turns by this NPC strikes that NPC, let's roll, let's roll for damage, let's roll late. You are just wasting everybody's time, right? The, yeah, and that's why I, why I will often give out recipe cards of NPCs to players to at least keep them engaged as well. Yeah. Um, but if I was going to have a neutral third party in the middle, I might give half of the enemies, like half of the vampire mafia, and half of the drow to the two different sides of the table so that, you know, who's rooting for whom? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the other thing to keep in mind too, is when you're looking for a way to roll a bunch of dice at once, do not just roll a bunch of D20s and start writing it down. Random number integer. Just type that into Google, go to the random, uh, integer generator and then screenshot it because you can choose how many of, uh, what numbers through what scope do you want it? Like from five to 20, cause it's got a plus or five They've got a plus five modifier. You don't have to do that math yourself. You plug that number in at the beginning, and you roll 86 times. Poof. I want it in seven columns. Poof. And then you screenshot it and move on. Yeah. Make your life easy. Nobody cares about what dice you're rolling in your prep ahead of time. Yeah. Fair one. Beauty, who's question? Me? Yep. King of Rot says, 
Ooh, good one. I got another King of Rot next. So like, here we <laughs> I'm go. I'm done with the King of Rot on my page. I have a player with 27 passive perception. What do? Okay, I mean, uh, are traps useless now? How do I use this for fun scenarios? Will my game lack something because the enemy may have never never have the element of surprise? Just to be clear, the player plays a druid who's proficient in perception and has the alert feat. Help. Okay. Um, so, they have a 27 passive perception, okay? Just remember that is not a 27 passive investigation, okay? That does not mean that every surprise is now ruined for the players. They, they come... He may see the uh, person curled over wearing the long cloak in the middle of the road first, but it doesn't mean that he automatically sees, I don't know, the hand grenade underneath <laughs> that person's like thing, ready to go. That would be an investigation check to get close and investigate that yeah. person up close. So just, just remember that. Even they may see, it doesn't mean traps are ruined. They may see the chest, uh, which is in the corner of the room, but it doesn't mean that they see the intricacies of the traps. It's different. Um, yes, light, line of sight, concealment, yes. shadow, all of this comes into play still, right? And there are lots of monsters out there that just blend in. Right, that yeah, are imperceptible unless they are moving. So, and this can hugely work to your advantage because it can lead them. To, it can lead them into the encounter. You know, it's it can be what. Oh, you you are the first person to see the little wolf cub over at the side. Oh, let's go get the wolf cub and a Ramirez like comes up through the snow and now yeah. you're dead. Dan, Dan's one of Dan's last characters, Lockie, was stupid. A radar, yeah. yeah. I think he. I think he had the twenty eight passive. So the way that I handled that was. Dan would become aware of this shit before anybody else would, but he'd be aware of it so far out. You you don't see the man walking down the road. You see the figure in the distance approaching. Right. So, who is that person? I just get to build attention a little bit earlier and then slowly roll that information out. Yeah. Everybody else, and this was great for Dan's character because your character was butting heads with many of the other characters as well, right? That was It's what he did. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, your character would see, hear, know a piece of information, and then you'd have to choose whether or not you share that with the rest of the party or just go off to look yourself. And often, I'll go take a look. I'm fast enough. I can do it. And that fucked you up so many times <laughs> where you would split the party. Or you would tell them and they'd say, yeah, but we're dealing with this over here, right? The other thing, too, is that, hey, you guys are in the middle of this conversation about what to do. All right, what's your marching order? And everybody's doing this, and I go, Psst, you over here? You are aware of the fact that it suddenly became colder. What does that mean? I don't know. What does that mean? That's a great right. point. It's what are you perceiving? Yeah. It doesn't mean you automatically know exactly yeah. what's there. You don't, you don't know the world. Yeah. You, yeah. you perceive things a little bit before everybody else It does. means you're the only one in the party that thinks that something smells like shit. Yeah. Go, something smells like shit around here. Yeah. Everyone's going, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it's, no, it's, no, it's, no, it's, it's <laughs> Who was that? Who asked that? That was me. So All right. Me. So, King of Rock on Reddit. What happened to the many roads to Amelia? I couldn't find it. I couldn't find if it got canceled after the second episode or got moved somewhere. I got COVID nonsense related delays. I love all the Call of Cthulhu stuff and I'm really excited for what comes next. Uh, it's coming. It's coming. Um, to be completely honest, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I was super disheartened by the whole thing because we lost an entire episode and a half. Um, uh, Dan's episode was so fucking good and was slated to be the next one that got released after Brad's. Uh, the audio file corrupted and just disappeared on me. Oh, God. And, yeah. and that was hours and hours down the fucking drain. You had spent, like, you had already, like, put a full 24-hour period of editing on that thing. Because um, one of the things, those of you who have listened to, like, Deep Dark Radiance, the full encompassing thing, 
Um, understand with every single mention of a door closing or uh, you hear this foot crunching in the snow or yeah, I reload my gun or this crow Yeah, calls. we go to our sound effect database and dig through it. But it's not just the door closed. We went through 95 different door closing sound effects to find that. Yeah. So the fact that it disappeared, I'm fucking heartbroken. And I'm trying to figure out how we can recreate it without it being just retreading the fucking steps because that's boring. If Dan already knows all the twists and turns. So. <laughs> that's all right. I have poor memory and ADHD. So, I guarantee it's fresh for me. <laughs> so what I'm going to do. And the other thing, honestly, if I can be totally transparent about it, one of the recordings had to get broken up into, into five separate recordings. And splicing those together is a bit of a nightmare. And uh, it's super fucking long. And it's daunting. There are so many things that are changing. And it's a mimic over the next couple of months. Um, this has been pushed to the back burner. It's coming. We still have five episodes recorded. As well as plans to record another two or three. This will be a thing that when you least expect it. You never know what you're going to get. We'll drop another episode. Yeah. Alright. That's you, Dan. Yeah. Alexander, another Skip Davis asks. Skip, skip. How do you as DM and players find... I'm sorry, skip, skip? I don't know. I did that. Um, how do you as DMs and players find role-playing to be therapeutic? Escapism, my friend. Escapism. Did uh, Sorry, I don't know if I understood the, the, the concept. Like, is he saying, like, how could you possibly find it to be therapeutic? I, 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 I think maybe it's uh, what about it do you find as cathartic or therapeutic? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Um, and for me, it's escapism. Um, I have so much going on on my Monday to Friday and often Saturday that um, I'm, I'm a, a business owner to like a legitimate trades business now. So like I, I have so many responsibilities. I have reports. Not, that's not competitive in Vancouver at all. It's not competitive in Vancouver at all. <laughs> right. I, I have reports that are supposed to go as we're recording this uh, episode right now. And it's driving me up the wall. Um, so like there's so much going on that the ability to just sever that, close that box and be a Furbolg bard circus performer is all I want in the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, the ability to sit down with my kids and see their glee as they climb a wizard's tower to rescue their bird friend. That's what, like, I love those things, right? Um, it's its the few and um, intense bursts of joy I get in my weekly life that that's where that therapy almost comes from, that catharsis comes from. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's just it's the only thing in the week where I can then put someone else's concerns on my brain and my stuff could sit in the back burner. It's the only thing that's been able to hold that. Like I can't play video games anymore. I I sit there and I'm like I'm wasting time. Yeah. Right. Like I I just I and it's I met my wife on World of Warcraft, guys. Like I I'm a gamer and I cannot sit and play video games anymore. And I find it so hard to do. So um, D and D is different, and I think it's part the obligation to my friends. I've made this. I have to go. Um, that and everyone in your life knows that you've made this a priority and they don't bother you when you're playing D&D. I have so established the fact that I'm playing D&D that it has just become everyone's aware Dan is not available Sunday nights and every other Monday. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a mini vacation from the rest of your life. Exactly, right? yeah. Um, Terry? I think, I agree. It is like, therapy as i look back it's like uh it's facing things about yourself they always say that it's like a little bit of you in every character right and i go through my character i think 
so Titus, Titus was a champion fighter whose big, biggest fear basically was that he was a coward and just wanted to prove himself and wanted everybody to see his worth. Uh, Solomon was a half-elf that did not like things about himself and ran away from his problems. Azrael was a person who certainly understood the benefits uh, of, of religion, but felt ultimately disconnected from their god and couldn't quite find his place there. Terry, Slyth- are you okay? Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Slyth? Uh, Slyth <laughs> was... I didn't get to flesh Slyth out. Slyth no, was, was, Slyth was a sociopath. <laughs> yeah. I Aspects get, of ourselves. I didn't have enough time to find Slyth. But, uh, so Slyth was hilarious. He was, Terry came in with a really strong character idea of someone... He is the kiss ass to the strongest person in the room, and then would just go about his own business anyway. Like this does not, this does not impact me in any meaningful way, so I'm not getting involved. Um, and, which was hilarious because he was so self centered, but also totally on board with whatever the party was doing. And I so wanted you to figure out who Slight was. I know we we'll never get, get there. there. We'll get back to. It. I still have him on D and D Beyond. Um, you know, I'll give him my last name. So it's uh, it it helps you kind of flesh things out about yourself and that character progression it does kind of help you through things and people can say that's kind of wishy-washy it's probably bullshit Terry but I think it's not because you play these characters for two or three years and then they're gone or they die and people are crying and it's like it's uh it helps you face things about yourself I think in a safe space yeah um I was a theater kid and then I was a film acting guy that I taught classes and so being in characters and running that shit is that's a major part. I spent over twenty years of my life in that fucking headspace. I have two and a half novels written on a on a fucking hard drive that I will never publish. Oh, Adam, um, please let me read your book. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I've got you I, and the internet want this. Yeah, and I've got about six or seven treatments of others. I have one script for a short film that I I think might be absolutely perfect, but is also technically unfilmable. So like, there's shit that I am. I, I need to write. I have to direct I, a story in some direction. I need to improv. This is what does it for me. Yeah. That's why it's hard for me to be a player, right? I've got to be a DM. And I have to homebrew. It's, I try, I'm trying to work through Curses Rod, right? And I don't, I don't know how Dave fucking does Dungeon of the Mad Mage, where the storyline is you go to the next room. Yeah. Fuck, how do you get, how do you sleep? Fuck, who asked that? Me. All right, so that's me. Uh, Shatner Pants. <laughs> Dan laughs every time. No, you asked that. Yeah, you asked that. It's my turn. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, Patner Shantz asks, (laughs) it's a pretty good question. If a druid poops while wild-shaped as a bird, are their bowels completely emptied when they resume humanoid form, or have they just reduced their poop by the amount they shat whilst in bird form, or would bird-form druid pass a humanoid... Can't even say the word. Would a sparrow shit a human-sized shit? And it says disgust. I know my answer to it. What's if you have wild ship, everything about you has changed. So if you turn into a bird and you poop, but when you come back to a humanoid, you have no poop left. I think about it this way. If you turn into a smaller creature and you just had a big full meal, your stomach lining doesn't burst. Yeah. Therefore, everything organic, including the microbes in your system that makes up half of your genetic material, also fucking changes. Therefore, okay. y- yeah, you, you, you poop and then it's gone. That's it. Devil's advocate. Then could a druid, in like a drinking competition... Shape shift into something small and pop back, and that alcohol content, like that drunkenness, that um, blood alcohol level, has changed after a wild shape. I would say absolutely yes. I mean, your the alcohol in your blood is the same amount of alcohol, right? It's not genetically part of you. 
I guess it's true. Right. Um, and I mean, I yeah, that might mean that you would, if you uh, if you're in a drinking contest and then you wild shaped into a spiral, you might die. So yeah, that's, like, <laughs> that's also true. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think about it from the other from the other side, but no, uh, I think that I think that a, a sparrow poops a sparrow's amount, and then um, when the druid becomes a druid, the druid is hungry. Uh, the inverse question is: If you wild shape into a bear and then eat something, do you shit out little pieces of that skeleton later? Yeah. Yes. People will be shitting skeletons all, all over the place. Absolutely. Here's one for you, Dan. If you were, uh, what's a what's a good example? What's a good example? Let's say uh, an owl bear. Because we've spoken about scrotums already in this episode, an owl bear probably has more sperm in its sack than, let's say, a sparrow. Can I just say if something? If you wild real quick? shape from an owl bear into, you wouldn't be able to. Well, uh, owl bears are monstrosities. You can't do it. Fight me, D&D movie writers. I was about to say. That's not the important part. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, I'm actually, I'm fully on board with her changing it to an owlbear. I'm and, like, and, yes, and, yes, please. And I'm expecting that they're going to release a new druid circle that allows you to do that. Yeah. yeah. Like, just to show Honestly, you should have been able to do monstrosities yeah. from day one. Well, that's my opinion. some monstrosities I don't want. It, look, beside the point. Not enough owlbears in fifth edition. Like, you really me. think that if you were to go from an owlbear to a sparrow, you, you would just explode with semen? The fact that it hasn't happened in a D&D game means that, no, this poop question's ridiculous, let's move on. <laughs> your, your bodily fluids, your bodily content is the same. The same way that everything you are wearing or you're wearing or carrying changes with you. Yeah. So there you go. Um, Shatner Pants asks, would you allow a character to gain a non-class slash race slash background proficiency in a skill, language, or gear through in-game training? Yes. Any recommendations for how that would work? I mean, we're all going to say yes to that, right? Uh, yes, it's just going to be a matter of how much is it going to be if you do it over your long rest, so eight hours, now you're a monk master. Well, we've got episodes coming about downtime, and like we're going to really dig into that shit, but uh, my answer to that is if you want to change your, or you want to get a proficiency, I think that as long as you meet the requirements for three months in-game or more um, for a different background, you can change your background. Sure. But it is a change, it is not an addition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would give, uh, of course, talk to your DM, talk to your player and like whatever you want to do there. I know, Adam, you give us frequent opportunities to become warlocks in your campaign. All the goddamn time. Yeah, both of us guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the... Were you the fight, fighter warlock multi-class? I, I, I was, uh, Lockie was a fighter rogue. in, in order rogue, of yeah. numerous levels. It was fighter rogue warlock. Dan's not allowed to multi-class in the new campaign. And it's fucking nuts. killing me. <laughs> I'm playing a Valor Bard, and I'm like, this is good enough. This will be fine. I could survive. But Paladin? No, I can't do it. Anyways. Um, so I, I would say... Um, I fucking lost my train of thought. Uh, what's the question again? <laughs> In-game training. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I If your player has a certain amount of downtime to do it... Um, I would definitely grant that. Um, I have given one of my, uh, the paladin in my party right now has armor with the arcane armor, arcane armor, uh, lightning bolt thing that's in his chest. Sure. Um, like an emblem, like an emblem. Um, I just pulled that straight from that, from the artificer class and just gave it to him just because he earned that. Right. So yeah, look, my, my only thing is know what your limits are. You get one new thing, whether it's a language or a skill or armor proficiency or whatnot. One new, as long as it makes narrative sense per tier or each time your proficiency bonus goes up or whatever it is. So that your guys aren't just super powered by level 8. 
Unless that's a game you want to play. Just know what your limits are and communicate about it clearly with people, right? Mm. Um, Mute. That's you. That's me. Uh, Tarzan of the Desert, again, says, I'm designing a protection specialist style campaign. The party will regularly be in situations where they probably won't have access to conventional armor or weapons, be it high society or black market security. They will also have to play multiple roles. Think A-Team, Leverage, Burn Notice, or Oceans or Oceans 11. What classes, races, backgrounds, and feats would you use to build a character in this setting? Level 5, all official content is available. Off the top of my head. Sentinel. Um, <laughs> that's your answer for that's what I'm thinking yeah. I, mean, I mean yes but when you start thinking like A-Team Burn Notice Ocean's Eleven uh, Rogue man Bard yeah. anything high charisma is going to do you well in that in the, um, Druid I would actually say a Druid Disguise Self is like that's where, that's where you're going that's the spell you want right yeah. but like Changeling Half Elves right these, yeah. are, these are the answers you're going for yeah um, in terms of feats Actor Alert Observant, uh, the ability to read no, lips. No protection right? specialist. I'm serious. Sentinel's fantastic for that. One hundred percent. Background would be. I'm going through a list of them right now. Uh, charlatan, you know, would make a uh, hell of a lot of guild action. artisan is pretty decent. There is a lot of stuff that's Alert. kind of on yeah. the on the refugee side of things as well, which allows you to have a disguise kit um, as well as be proficient in a lot of the social stuff. You're looking, honestly, you're looking for insight and deception above almost everything else. Yeah. Right? So, um, I'm trying to think, like, entertainment faction agent is one of those. That's just like, yeah, you you get to, like, blend in with people. So, um, yeah, there's, like, there's a bunch Oh, if you're doing, like, Ocean's Eleven, even criminal background, you get a criminal contact, which yeah. would be hugely valuable. So, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, there there are lots lots of options. That's how I go. I would I would steer clear of things that are gonna cripple you. Like uh, barbarian's not gonna be great for this. Uh, um, no, I would disagree. Uh, a barbarian with like tavern brawler. Uh, so you have you have your muscle, who's uh, you don't have conventional armor or weapons. So your barbarian's gonna survive a little bit longer because yeah, he's got armor defense, too, right? Yeah, monk, monk too. You gotta sink into charisma for your your deception, right? I don't think so. As long as you're closely tied i mean how many movies have we seen the big dumb like the vinnie jones character how many times have you had everyone roll a stealth check and there's a paladin in the group it's going to be the same thing with the one guy that doesn't have the disguise or the deception or the inside they're going to be the person that sinks the point. then you do party roles you don't do individual roles you do party roles or skill challenges yeah the other way your party has a dc of 60 to hit everybody roll at it together oh i take the average now I like to I like to do group rolls and take the average. That's too much math. Fuck that. It's great. Space well, edition. It's great. Well, I I used to do averages. I found it just simpler off the top of my head as I ask as I go around the table. What did you get? Mm. It's easier for me to say, Hey, we need to get up to fifty. Mm. What did you roll? What did you roll? What did you roll? And I can do that quick, you know, single digits to twenty something edition in my head. So that's that's how I would run that. Who asked that question? Me. All right, Terry. What you got? M. Willem Zazzles. Said, uh, if you were running a campaign set in the homeland of dragons, a continent that is specifically populated by dragons building on ancient ruins. That's Argonison in Eberron. What would your hierarchy look like and which dragon would be your head honcho big daddy boss dragon? Sometimes these questions are so specific as though we could just come up with these things off the top of our heads. But that's what they think we can do. That's why we tricked them into believing. So, uh, Big right. daddy boss dragon's red. R- r- yeah, uh, or it's red, gold, and amethyst, right? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say gold. Gold wouldn't sit on the top of that throne. 
the other metallics. No, no, no. I'm talking silver would before gold. I'm talking the the other mecha- the other metallics would would give that to them. I think that silver is is too altruistic to be able to be the. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Yeah, Terry. Silver dragon. <laughs> Actually, don't start that again. <laughs> um, that 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 stupid voice is that supposed to be me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the yeah, fucking it vulture your... from Robin Hood, you tool. You <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sound like that. Uh, who's who's going to sit on the throne? The green dragon is. The red dragon's powerful, but is not. The blue dragon wants to. The yeah. red dragon wants to prove themselves. But the green dragon. See, in my head, the green dragons are superior dragons only because they will take the time to scheme. The red will say, "All right, I've spent the last hundred years proving I'm powerful enough. Here I am." The blue will say, "Look at all the shit that I've accomplished. Here I am." The green will say, "Okay," and bide his time for the four hundred years, and then stab you in the fucking back. Yeah. Right, and then be a like takeover. So by the time you're talking about big political worlds and shit, and leader of a whole continent, green dragon, green, yeah, mm. <coughs> yeah, it's probably pretty accurate. Who's who's gonna have the the time and patience for the political agendas? Right, it is going to be green. I mean, a brass dragon will just stomp its way through. Yeah, uh, they're, they're pretty warm. Brass? No, 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 bronze, bronze is pretty warm. Yeah, Bra- brass is they're brass. Gonna... Brass will do the politics. They'll do the politics, but they're not high level enough to be effective enough to to run golds and silvers and true right. So no, I would say green is probably the answer. Um, also, they're poison based, so every once in a while their enemies will just keel over at dinner. I like fantastic. It. I right. do like green dragons. So the green dragons are going to give you the red wedding. The red dragon won't. The red dragon will just give you a battle. Yeah. Um, Acid Dialogue asks, uh, would y'all consider doing one-shots with some fans? I know it would probably get weird fast, but would you give it a shot? No. no clearly. <laughs> listen to these fucking questions. We're going to go off the rails on fucking script. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely we would. The, the, that sounds like a great Patreon reward. Sure. Um, the day that that ever comes up. Yeah. Right. Um, that, yes. Ideally, that would be something that, that we could do. Um... I don't like doing online. I much prefer doing it in person, which is why it's not particularly on my radar. But there are people like uh, Dave and Kyle and who me. have access to the tools and whatnot um, yeah. who who would absolutely run something like that. Terry, would you run it for the fans? I would not. But here's the reason why. Not just me, be, me being a dick. Um, when I, not just that. It's not yeah. just that. Yeah. When I do this podcast with you guys, which I, I, I love doing... Um, I'm just talking to you two, and I forget that people listen to it. <laughs> and it is a lot of people now. I, it, it's it's thousands of people. And uh, we cracked 215,000 downloads. 215,000 downloads. That's amazing. Which I can't believe. I can't believe. And, and these people have known me to some degree for years now and remember things about me and quote me on stuff and can remember all of this stuff, good, bad, and ugly. And I don't want to have to face that because then all of a sudden it becomes real, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then it just became sudden, very real. And then all of a sudden I have to, it's, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, people like, it's not, it's not that they admire us. That's a stupid thing. But they, they, they enjoy what we do, yeah. right? And it's like, I don't want you to sit with me for eight hours and then go, actually, wasn't he quite disappointing in the end? <laughs> we we'll go back to that like question. It. Why? Um, <laughs> So, so no, because I don't want to cross. I don't want to cross uh, that line. I'll say this: in episode two hundred, I said, "Damn, we were supposed to go to Gen Con and have a booth and all that shit." I just finished crying about yeah, that. Yeah, good, good. I'm upset that you finished crying, but the point is, 
I would, I would oh, absolutely. Just one second, one second. You think for a fucking instance that if this, this podcast goes to Gen Con, I'm not fucking hijacking and going along with you? Oh, you can come as a fan. But the, the thing is, <laughs> on the look, on the look, I'm so rigid right now. <laughs> so the, the, <laughs> the, the thing that I would do is I would run a one shot, you know, or maybe, yeah. maybe a two shot on the Friday, Saturday with a handful of, of people there. Yeah. Right. And, that's far more my speed. It's honestly the technology that turns me off. I don't want to learn Roll20, right? I don't want to rely on D&D Beyond. Um, I'm comfortable enough with Zoom. I'm comfortable enough with technology. I don't have the fucking time to become so proficient with this that I don't drag it down and turn a three-hour game into a ten-hour game. Because yeah. I'm like, how do I change the lighting? Hold on. Can you guys see this? Wait yeah. a minute. What, what token? Was... Hold on. It's blue now, right? It's... Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. You're on mute. You're on mute. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Bill Hubert. Sent us a message through the website saying... It is pronounced Hubert. William Hubert sent us a... You know what, Bill? I'm sorry. Bill sent us a message through the website saying, I am curious about the thoughts of the entire cast... The entire cast. All right, hold on, let me go get them. Yeah. (laughs) About using elementals in objects or vehicles. Dave just got hard somewhere. Yeah, that's Eberron. That's That's Eberron, yeah. For example, air elemental on a ship, fire elemental in a forge, or powering a vehicle... Also, what are some interesting objects or vehicles that other elementals, para-elementals, or quasi-elementals... What's the difference between a para and a quasi-elemental? Well, one is half and one is almost. Okay. So, like a... Uh, uh, okay, so... A so, genasi? No, 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 no. No, a para-elemental will be the ones that you find in Ravnica, which are like the the fluxes and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like lightning and fire in a single construct, right? And Methods and shit like that? No, no, no. It's technically wizards have done experiments and combined two different elementals to build a new kind of elemental. Okay. So they are they hit twice as hard and they're like th- so those are quasi ones uh para elementals will be the ones that are like methods, which are they're like it's smoke. It's not really an elemental, but it's an elemental, right? So yeah. like a dust method is a is a quasi Right. Um, I would love to see an air element, just for my own personal purposes, an ele- air elemental that uh, functions as a uh, um, dust collection service for all of my saws. <laughs> oh, in real life? In real life. That would be fucking great. Just, just like, Charles, continue sucking. <laughs> oh, is Charles the name of the Come elemental? On. Yeah, Charles is the elemental. Come on. Okay, all right, so... um, Charles, continue sucking. um, (laughs) Yes, everyone on the podcast, I know for a fact, likes the idea of elemental-based vehicles and stuff. There are all sorts of really cool vehicles. We usually get different ones in different books. Almost every module now has a vehicle of some sort, even uh, Wild in the Witchlight has the hot air balloon, which is clearly for an air elemental, right? Uh, Or a fire elemental. Yeah. So... There are all sorts of different ways that you can go about it. My favorite kind of vehicle that was introduced recently in D&D was, well, recently, recently in all of D&D, uh, is the soul coins for the... Uh, oh, the, I love that idea. Yeah, for all of the machines down in, in hell, the infernal machines. So, yeah. like, I, I think that's really neat. There are all sorts of cool ways to go about that. Um, yeah, we're all on board with that. That's great. Um, as far as a unique... Um, oh, I put a tiny fire elemental in, elemental in a lantern, okay? Where it has emotions, it'll... Flicker if it's like scared. on the light of a candle. It'll up against the side of the glass and try to get your attention. That's legit so. a uh, Studio Ghibli th- uh, thing, isn't it? That's from um, fucking. Uh, Terry's never seen an. I'm gonna an be. Enemy. I'm gonna be lit on fire for not knowing this. It's 
I don't think it's Howl's Moving Castle that has Spirited it. Spirited Away? It might be Spirited Away. I know that one. So, um, yeah, you know what? There's, yeah, there's lots of good answers. Uh, as far as vehicles go, I don't know. I'd like to see... I would like to see the cold elementals. We just don't get that. Yeah. I yeah. want cold elementals. Um, and I want them involved in things like uh, sleds and sleighs and whatnot. I think that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Get it? Uh, my question? Freeze. <laughs> Chill. Uh, King of Rot asks... How many lieutenants do you give your big villains, and how do you make slash choose them? That says lieutenants. That says lieutenants in English. Um, there's no F. Oh, I was sitting on my right tenant there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> how was, many? What was your rank, Terry? I was uh, I was a lance corporal. Cool. I was a lance corporal yeah. in Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers two five two one seven seven nine six lance corporal Williams. Um, I too am cool. I, I just want to point out you're not being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Really? Because he's sitting across from you, Dan. How many lieutenants? <laughs> oh, you could be Lieutenant Dan. Hey. All right, Terry, what's the question? How many lieutenants who served in Iraq <laughs> do you give your big villains, and how do you make slash choose them? Do you fuck... I, okay, before we... Let's just stop here. I hate the unnecessary use of slashes, okay, in things. How do you make or choose them would be fine. Uh, do you, sorry, King of Rot. I know you're just uh, you're calling in. It's fine. Do you focus on type more, like are they a brute for a caster type of villain, or a theme like an undead for the necromancer, or the surrounding areas like it's a cobalt den, so just pick a cobalt. Uh, any and all examples from previous campaigns are welcome and encouraged. Thanks. No unnecessary slashes though. How many lieutenants do you give your villains? Um, three. I I, three, I go around three. Three, yeah, three. Right. I I you want them to be memorable. Like you do want them to be memorable, right? And and the other thing is you want them to be expendable because the longer you spend on a lieutenant, the less time you're spending on the big bad. One per tier. And if one you're not playing tier. if you're not playing one to twenty, one per quarter of the game. Sure. That makes sense. Right. So you yeah. kill the one, you kill the other, you kill the other, you kill the big bad guy, campaign done. Here's my thing though, when you kill the big bad guy, there should always be a thing that happens afterwards. When you kill Strahd, uh, Babala Saga should then be the thing you gotta fight. So I would include her as a lieutenant that you fight after the fact. Yeah. Right? And so I often do that where where you guys went and fought a bunch of gods and watched a god fight happen, but that wasn't the actual fight. That wasn't the end of the campaign. Yeah. Right? And so I deal with that a lot where, um, well, because I play these high level, I do have lieutenants. Um, my general rule, actually, if, if I can be perfectly honest, depending on how often that you play, um, we try to play two out of every three weeks. I give a new lieutenant about every month or so. You guys only have a quote-unquote boss. They're usually somehow a direct result of the villain existing somehow. Yeah. Whether or not they're aligned. And the question that I think of is, um, who are the people around the table? and and uh, Or rather, which are the characters around the table? Which one are they going to mirror? The spellcaster, if I've got a wizard, there will be an enemy spellcaster that can go toe-to-toe with them. For example, Acro was a necromancer. I gave the archmage. As a direct toe-to-toe, here we are going to fight, right? If it's going to be a rogue, it'll be an assassin they've got to fight. I want them to fight the mirror version of themselves and come out victorious and they will often get an item or a new thing they can do as a result. And yeah. so that's kind of where I come from on that. If you get stuck, look at their backstories and find like the character that is either important to them or a nemesis and twist it to be a like find a reason why that character would then be loyal or subservient to your big bad. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're going to do something that's going to take less than six months to play, I would theme it all together. Yes, it's undead. They're all undead. Yeah. If it's going to be longer than six months... Have mix, more depth. Yeah, yeah, mix it up. 
why why is this Yugoloth aligned with this undead? You have the capacity now to get into more motivation and more complex villain relationships, and therefore you can have a spoiler for Curse of Strahd, because everyone's playing it, so we keep using it. Uh, Fiona, right, mm-hmm. can be an actual villain that is aligned with Strahd somehow, right? So instead of it just being, it's a vampire spawn, right? Or a bride. Oh, it's a that's a what a Strahd's brides, right? Like yeah. there's a reason that it's there's a druid and a hag analog and shit there instead of just merely more vampires. So um do you want to answer, Terry? Or do we cover it? We covered it. The All right. Tenants? Yeah. Um I like lieutenants better. I just I do. I do as well. Way. It sounds better. Look, I've been assimilated now, so I've come around. But you, it, I, have you started calling them colonels? It's no it's <laughs> It bothers me. It bothers me. Lieutenants are junior officers, so they get a lot of shit anyway. But lieutenants, book of whatever. I got a question because I don't know this. Is a first lieutenant or second lieutenant? Which one is a higher rank? Second lieutenant. Second lieutenant is the, is the lower one than lieutenant. And the, but they're like straight out of the academy. Okay. Like so, like if you go through, like I, I joined as eighteen as a soldier, right? So if I went all the way through Lance Corporal, Corporal Sergeant, Staff Sergeant, all the way, blah 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 blah. Those are British ranks, Americans. I know you've got twenty three sergeants. Shut up. <laughs> and, and I get all the way to like what, what we would call a warrant officer class one, which is a regimental sergeant major, and then got commissioned after time served. You would go immediately to captain, which is technically the third officer rank. You wouldn't do the two junior officer ranks of second lieutenant and lieutenant. Okay. That's like if you enter as an officer. But How they do you get, enter as an officer rather than entering in as a soldier? Yeah, just you, you choose a path of what you want to go. Like okay. in the British Army, it would usually be you would have to have like a kind of a university degree, and then uh, and then you would be selected involved, for, right? the, uh, for the uh, the academy for Sandhurst, and then you would go. Well, but I went to do a trade. I went to be a tank mechanic. Okay. As opposed to going to, to be an officer, and then you would be, based on how that goes at Sandhurst, the academy, then you would be assigned a, a battalion or a corps or something like that from there. Okay. So it's just a different uh, different entryway. But the junior officers, because they're technically in charge of a lot of men, they could be in charge of, uh, like a second lieutenant could be in charge of a platoon of 30 men and they are women. And and uh, they could have been, you could have sergeants in there that have been in for 18 years and have done three tours and this 24 year old lieutenant is telling them what to do and they're like, look son, you have no idea. <laughs> but just wait. You'll find out. Yeah. So anyway, sidebar, let's come back. Um... You slash, see, there has to be a slash in this one. It's you slash Xenon Ramzite asks, As I continue to listen, I have noticed two things. A lot of bashing on Pathfinder slash 3.5 and a lot of complaints about mechanics or lack thereof in 5th edition. That is solved in Pathfinder 2nd edition, like passive skills, poison, economy, crafting, etc. As Pathfinder 2 is drastically different than original Pathfinder, having been streamlined but keeping a bit more granularity than fifth edition have you ever thought about trying it out yes i've done it um it was it is so different from fifth edition it is such a divergence from fifth edition there are some similarities between the two but it is very much a uh mechanics heavy game and if you want to play mechanics heavy game that i mean sure um it was not for me um but i played like super early second edition so I wouldn't mind dipping my toes back in again, but it's um, like we said earlier in this episode about three five. You Pathfinder is a player's game. Fifth edition is a DM's game, almost. It's a it's a storytelling game rather than a war game. But Pathfinder, those mechanics heavy games, they're more war games. They're my numbers are better than your numbers. Done. 
Um, and does that give you a little bit more clarity rules-wise? Yeah, it does. And sometimes that's needed. Sometimes it also makes the rules clash. Yep. Um, which will then create arguments at the table. And this is where confrontational DMing comes in. And- I, I, I do think Paizo has done a fantastic job at uh, separating the two. Uh, like separating that uh, um, that clash and managing the, the rules clash with second edition from what I've read. Um Am I willing to try it out again? Yeah, yeah, at the right table. But uh, I'm, I've been so involved with Five E for the past, you know, X years that it, it's just where I find my home. And um, you cannot look me in the face and tell me that three point five was not suffering from bloat. You cannot look me in the face and tell me Pathfinder First Edition was suffering from bloat. Um, so I don't know. I'm gonna say this: we ripped on we rip on Pathfinder three point five a lot because it was unnecessarily complicated. Paizo's done a great job. Clearing that shit up. Yeah. I am very well versed now in the rules for 5th edition and Call of Cthulhu, and I prefer the Call of Cthulhu rules better. I just like them better. Uh, from a storytelling perspective, it lets us do literally fucking whatever we want. Um, and it didn't gamify it. It just said, use your common sense. Yeah. Pathfinder gamifies it. The moment you start adding mechanics to it, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, mm-hmm. and that leads us to the idea of winning and losing. You can't win or lose D&D. You can complete storylines, and you can have campaigns end. You can have characters die, but you don't win or lose a story. Same way you don't win or lose a book, right? You just yeah. don't. Pathfinder, in my opinion, and you guys will have different opinions, it's a video game, and you can win and lose video games yeah. because it is more mechanically gamified. It's The rules are codified, and there's a right way to do it. You cannot jump if you don't have these requirements ahead of time, right? And at least... First edition was like that. I understand second edition is better. I'm willing to try it out. But first, we're going to jump into Legend of the Five Rings. And I'm very, very curious about um, about seeing... There's a Star Trek um, uh, role-playing game, which apparently has got really cool ship-to-ship rules. Oh, and I'm like, this is what I might be missing in my fifth edition is yeah. ship-to-ship rules. If you ever run that, or if somebody runs that, just let me know. Yeah. I want to be in on that. Yeah, I like. I feel like like Same. the three of us and Dave and Megan is low key a, a Trek nerd as well. I get that impression, but I don't know. I feel like we could have a good Star Trek. Game. I would just. No. I would really enjoy that. Uh, no, I. I don't. The question was, do I have an interest in playing Pathfinder? Yeah. Um, I don't, and it's not that I have anything against Pathfinder. I've never seen it, but everything that I would want from Pathfinder, I am getting from D and T Fifth Edition. Fifth edition is clearly winning the Coke versus Pepsi battle with this, and there is a reason for that. They have the majority of the market. There is there is no pain point that I need to be relieved with Pathfinder. And if I can be honest, we may be saying a very different uh, thing when it comes to whatever one D and D turns into. Yeah, right. right. That's right around the corner too. So we'll all be relearning the rules here pretty quickly. Backwards compatible. Only applies to can we run these campaigns with the new world building tools that have been given? Yeah, we're gonna have to learn everything from the ground up again, and it's gonna be confusing. And I'm not looking forward to it as someone who has a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, Christopher Helge Sergison sent us an email. I'm sorry if I butchered your name there, Christopher. Um, what methods do you use to make interesting characters to play as players? I know about episodes in the campaign builder where you talk about building NPCs, but I'm thinking specifically for players and not DMs. And just in reference to the last question, this is kind of where 5e mechanically is weak, is player, is character building. Um, um, I'll argue that. 
the tools are there. You just don't know. You just don't know them. And I'm going to say that people don't read the DMG. No, no, you're not you, Dan. The average person. <laughs> people don't read the DMG. People don't look into all that crazy amounts of fun backstory inspiration yeah. that exists in Xanathar's. Dave only rolls randomly in Xanathar's to build characters. And by the way, that's my answer. Yeah. The It's My Life section in Xanathar's is fucking beautiful. Use it. Some people go two different ways. They either love random tables or they are determined that they will never take anything from the books or tables and they will create everything themselves and everything must be original. But we're all standing on the shoulders of giants here. There's only how many 13 plot lines or something. There's yeah. only so many types of characters you can create. Every movie is basically the same. Like it, Every movie is a sequel to an Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, there is nothing wrong with using these tools. That being said, if you don't want to do that, I will often take inspiration from something and channel that at first with the determination that by the third session I'm moving away from it. Sure. As early as I can. I don't think there's anything wrong with channeling something because it gives you direction to just follow um, initially. Character creation is a platform for you to jump off of. As Terry said when we were talking about Slice a moment ago, he hadn't learned that character yet. Yeah. He had built the character, but he hadn't learned it yet. This is a platform for you to then launch who this character becomes. And that is why I often say, campaigns start at level 3, but start playing at level 1. Yeah, true. And the character's not supposed to stay the same, right? No. There's, no character, there's supposed to be character development. You're supposed yeah. to change. And I think that that's one of my gripes when it comes to uh, 3.5 and original Pathfinder as well, is... You spend so much time crafting this character to be this one specific thing that if they are forced to change for any reason, your vision is gone. Oh, I, I remember getting in straight up fights with uh, a couple of guys in my old group because they they would build their characters from level 1 to 20 when they first build their characters. And then like we hit level 5, I'm done. They pull out their other character sheet. I'm like, if some sort of life change happens in that character. If you lose a hand. If you lose a hand, why are you taking levels in fighter? Yeah. Right? Oh, you're going to make it work? Really? Like, I, 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 I like 5th edition for the uh, freedom that that builds, but there's no place for building a character from 1 to 20 anymore and going. Yep. Yeah, my question? Yep, you're, you're next. Uh, Avatar Idalia. Idalia? Hey, it's Crystal. Hey, oh, hi, okay. Crystal. Uh, if you cast... Hero Good question, Crystal. If you cast Heroes Feast, what's showing up at your feast? Oh, barbecue. Ah, I'm going to be honest, my favorite food in the world is seafood, and I do mean like shellfish. Fish is good, but like specifically shellfish. I, I'm not I, a big fish guy. I love shellfish. I, yeah, I could eat the fuck out of scallops and squids and octopus. Like, I can eat that shit all fucking day. Yeah. If it, if it comes from the sea, I will fucking eat it. I love that shit. So when it's, it's um, like, I'm all over sushi, it's probably my favorite thing to do. Mie and I have a tradition, every time that she flies into Vancouver, before we get home, we stop and get sushi. When I'm down there, because we don't have Red Lobster in BC, when I'm down there, we go to Red Lobster. Um, and then on top of that, I would go get Maryland Crab, because Maryland oh, yeah. Crab is what they're fucking known for. It's their fucking... It, their license plates. Some of their license plates are in the shape of crabs. Like, it's what they're known for. Maryland Crab is an NPC name as well. Maryland Crab is running a tavern somewhere. <laughs> for sure. Um, so, for me, it's going to be an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. Like, that's that's absolutely what it is. Yeah, I for me, it's barbecue. Um, I, I, I will eat until I throw up, and then, like, I will Hunger Games the shit out of this. We should go to Rio. No. What the fuck? 
No, 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 no. Uh, Rio is a Brazilian wrestler. Oh, oh okay. Like, Rio so, de Janeiro. I, 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 I thought like, he meant. The fuck I thought he meant like Rio, the uh, fucking. That's we have we have Las Vegas. That's we have Reno. Las oh That's Reno. Reno. Like no, we have no, Las no. Vegas at home kind no, of no, shit. No, no, so no, like, each of us would think it a different. No, no, thing. It, it's it's kind of like this. All you can eat. Like they come out with slabs of meat and they cut it onto your plate. Oh, it's fucking just down the yes, road, isn't please. It? Isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. On the way to Port Moody. Yeah. You yeah. give me a good slice of pie and just a, a heap of steaming meat. I'm good. Moving right along. Right, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> good. Uh, so, uh, hey Dan, this should be a familiar name to you. User finisher seven one one nine asks, buddy. What is your least favorite spell in D&D 5th edition? My least favorite spell in D&D 5th edition? This isn't about me, so you get an answer first. Um, My least favorite spell in 5th edition is Catnap. Fair. Least favorite. That's tough, because I don't think I have like a least favorite. Um, I don't like... Okay, uh, I will say um, it's not my least favorite, but I don't like Bless because I prefer Bane sure. for the opposite, yeah. if you know what yeah. I mean. So I will always, I will yeah. rarely use Bless. Slow, by the way, is way better than Haste, and I will die oh, on that hill. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, will absolutely. die on that hill. I'll tell you this, I've never seen the purpose in taking the spell Friends. Nope. I don't see the fucking point in it. True, uh, true Strike. True strike. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, that, that's the go-to answer. Wish on the other end. Okay, like, so, so in my opinion, the least favorite spell in D&D has to be a first or cantrip. It cannot be a second level spell or higher. I mean, it might be a second level. I'll go third and higher. It can't be any of those. Why? Because you're level five when you start getting third level spells. You've developed your character. You'll find something there that works. You're good. First, there's such a narrow window of usable skills on the debatably higher uh lethality levels of one to five that almost everyone will take one of mage armor magic missile burning hands like sure yeah. like the same shit every single day um oh you took shield i am surprised yeah <laughs> what does that cure the wounds oh sure. no yeah. yeah um i i if i was to answer this question honestly enhance ability yeah well well oh no it's a the reason why i hate it is it's a great spell, but it is just it is just outclassed by other uh, other things in the, in the it, level. It's not that. It, it's like True Strike. It is one of the most boring fucking spells out there. You, you do it strictly for this one mechanical fucking thing. Mm. And you do it because in this moment you need to do this one thing. And there's no flavor that goes into it. No one has a really cool casting ability or an awesome phrase they say when they do it. It's not like Fireball or like, Ignatius and then something blows up. No, nobody puts any effort into that shit, right? So now, like, fucking hands ability. Uh, you you want to know what I don't like? I don't like weird. It's underpowered. Give it more shit to do. Yeah. Right. You, uh, cur- uh, the the curse. Oh, um, bestow and remove curse yeah. are at the wrong fucking levels, and they don't do enough. Yeah. There we go. Like I I've got some spells I can bitch about. Um. Also, uh, hot take. You get fireball too early. It should be a fourth level spell. Agreed. Um. Also. Just because it it should come up, uh, but uh, Eldritch Blast, I'm, uh, nah, that's too powerful to be a cantrip. Um, it needs to be a cantrip for warlocks. I don't give a shit. They could use Firebolt like every other fucking arcane spellcast. And to be completely honest, oh, you should sure. be able to reflavor elements. Sure, well. Dan and Fighter should be able to cast spells just like every other fucking character. No, the warlock thing is they get Eldritch Blast. That's their thing. I don't think it should be something that other classes should get i think it should be a class feature yeah no i'm, I'm, I'm okay so with just that an unlimited class feature here you go this is the thing you cast yep so anyways that was uh that was me okay whose question are we 
It's me. Go ahead. Hold on. All right. Christopher Helge Sigurdsson. Sigurdsson. Again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Um, this is one of the oldest questions that has been sitting there for years. That's unfortunate because this is like a specific character building question. Hi, I was listening to your class episode on rogues. Uh-oh. For inspiration on good spells. So this is the arcane trickster. Whoa. Yeah. This, oh, this no. Was, this is our first rogue. Oh, no, Christopher. I am sorry. I hope you're still listening. Um, anyways, it gets I... better. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. Skip fighters. Um, I was looking for inspiration on good spells for my fifth level arcane trickster rogue. But all of the battlefield control spells you mentioned, like Darkness and others, aren't on the wizard spell list. Do you have any good support spells for arcane tricksters that I can use? Now, I had Darkness. Where did I get Darkness from then? You cheated. Um, so... <laughs> no, I can't possibly have cheated. <laughs> it's just not within who I am. How very British of you. Anyways, the... <laughs> Keep going, Dan. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we have some notes here. You get 13, uh, spells by level 20 for, uh, four can be whatever you want, but the rest have to be enchantment or illusion spells. Uh-huh. So yep. that's, that's where you got darkness from. Um, now for enchantment and illusion spells, you have encode thoughts, um, uh, and minor illusions. Encode thoughts is in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Um, first level spells, you get Disguise Self, Distort Value, which is from um, Acquisitions Inc., Silent Image, Sleep, and Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Second level spells, you get Hold, Pers- hold Person, Invisibility, and Suggestion. Third level spells, you get Fast Friends, Why, uh, Hypnotic Pattern, and Major Image. And fourth level spells, you get Charm Monster, Greater Invisibility, and, and or Hallucinatory Terrain. As for other spell schools, useful additions could be Booming Blade, Mage Hand, Message, Mold Earth, uh, Chromatic Orb, Detect Magic, Find Familiar, Fog Cloud, Grease, Identify, Mage Armor, Magic Missile, Snare, Tensus Floating. Like these are the this is the wizard spell list up to fourth level spells, which you get as a arcane trickster. No, when I was doing my research, I pared down. There's a lot of shit that's missing up. Yeah. These were good. If you don't have darkness, you, like the, these are good other options to do at least. Battlefield or um, or kerfuckery for, yeah. for arcane trickster. So like things like blindness, deafness, um, darkness, or dark vision. Um, if you if you're not one of the majority of races that have that, um, detect thoughts, which is great. Enlarge, reduce. I noticed I noticed that enhance ability is missing. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, immovable object, which is great. Um, knock, levitate. Locate object, misty step, see invisibility, spider climb, web. Fuck, I love a good web. Mm-hmm. Web is good. A good, well placed web. Um, as third it's level spells, as third level spells, you have fireball, fly, gaseous form, haste, slow, Lamin's tiny hut, which has practical battlefield uses. Yeah. Uh, sending and sleet storm, and then finally fourth level spells, you have gravity sinkhole, which is from the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. Which is a great fucking spell. Yeah, if you don't know what that is, look it up. You'll you'll fuck yeah. the world with it. Um, Ice Storm, Laoman's Secret Chest, um, Polymorph, Stone Shape, Wall of Fire, or I mean Dimension Door. So there's a there's a lot of good options. We we went after the ones that you were playing with. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, so, is there anything there, Dan? You know what every single one of those spells are. <laughs> is, is there one that is, was darkness, I think, is a second level spell? Darkness is a second level spell, yeah. Is there anything else at second level that you would replace darkness with on that list? Um, I'm, the fucking suggestion's always good. Suggestion, suggestion is good. Suggestion solid. I since learned to appreciate suggestion after playing. Um, uh, levitate is very good for offensive purposes. It's pretty funny. Yeah, just like, and you're five feet off the ground. What are you going to do? At Noel with a hammer, yeah. like, um, he's gonna he's gonna listen to episode seventeen. <laughs> no, all right, no, keep going. Um, I would like to point out that I recently saw a video of they they isolated an astronaut in a zero g environment so that he had nothing to push off of, nothing to like. There was no way other than his own body to apply force, but it's a zero g atmosphere, so he couldn't. It's a solid, like, 10-minute video of him inching his way closer to a wall by, like, throwing his limbs out to try to create the most minimal amount of force. Newton's third law, right? Yeah. He's pushing off of himself to generate some thrust. Yeah. In some direction, yeah. So, so, levitate is beautiful. It's pretty fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, what about you? What do you got? Um, uh, I Don't do fog cloud. Fuck fog cloud. That's hurting your party just as much as it's hurting as it's hurting your. Yeah, enemy. but so is darkness. Yeah. I don't mind fog cloud um, in the right scenario. I think the thing on this list of actual enchantment and illusion spells that stands out to me as being potentially the most fun um, is going to be hallucinatory uh, terrain or hypnotic pattern. Or hypnotic pattern. Um, you said fast friends. Why? It's not friends. It's fast friends. Look up acquisitions. I, I no. I, yeah, I understand it, what it, it does. It, it's still like it. it it's not worth it's a third level spell like it's not it's not worth a third level spell it's a second level spell in my mind at most i think that it is the third one that you choose it's not your first choice that's true that's true i got a question for you if you're deaf can you uh uh properly use a verbal component yes yeah absolutely the question is i i i know a lot of fucking deaf people yeah yes yeah all right then (coughs) i've also heard deaf people speak okay Oh yeah, okay. So here's the thing: one hundred and ten percent, they can still properly do it. A verbal command is, uh, if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, a verbal command on a spell isn't so much for you saying the specific magic word. It is you pulling from the weave the thing you need to utter to do this ability, right? And the weave is so intricate and complicated and everything else. Yes. I am not going to limit anybody. I just if this for that. is if this is the somatic component I'm supposed to do, but I do moving, it like this. He's moving his hand in a but I do it like this, which is incorrect. It's not technically correct it's, what I'm doing. It's Leviosa, right? Right. So I I would. My diamond is worth four hundred ninety nine. Here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is the somatic component to a spell the same for every single caster of that spell? And no, no. But there is for that spell yes. a correct somatic if, component. If, yes. But is it that one and exclusive somatic? Okay, all right, hold, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I have in my head the appropriate answer for this that is going to give both, you're both right, and here's why. Every spell is a ninth level spell. We just haven't figured out how to tap into that amount of power yet. Sure. So therefore, every time that you cast a cantrip or a first level spell or a second level spell, when you cast darkness, that is casting darkness on the entire continent. We just don't have the ability to do that. We haven't figured out. We don't have the willpower as a sorcerer, or the deal as a warlock, or the connection to be a god like a cleric, or the just the knowledge like a wizard. We don't have the ability to get to that intense level of magic. Every spell is scalable up to, let's say, 12th level. 
even ninth level spells. Wish is not the same as it was in previous editions, which means Wish used to be more powerful in D&D, because it does technically in canon. Therefore, Terry is going to cast Darkness in a different way with different verbal components, different somatic components, than Dan will. And we both learned that, hey, this material component is more useful, but if we had a purer version, if you were to exactly move on a rainy day in a lightning storm with your hand uh, you know, pointed upwards and one eye closed, you would be able to push it from a second level spell to a fourth level spell, right? But we don't know that yet, and we never will. That's not what this game is about. So, yes, every single caster casts it differently, and yes, you can do it in weird limited fashions, like using a verbal component underwater. You can do it. My general rule for that is, you are still pulling from the weave and forcing it out of your body. However, you now you have now run out of breath. That's it. You are you are drowning mechanics at, the, at this point. Yeah. So you can still do that. There's no reason why you couldn't, unless there's a gag in your mouth, so you can't do it, or your hands are bound, so you can't even remotely get to that kind of shit. But for the most part, I, you, I think this is when you have meta magic feats with sorcerers. This is why they come in and they're so powerful. Uh, is because a sorcerer has such an innate sense of magic in them. That they're able to easier, more easily access the weave to cast their spells. This is why foci come into play as well, yeah. and and whatnot. So, so there's my answer. So, so yes, um, we are totally off topic. What's the who's on what? It's Terry's question. Next. My question: Spidey Rich says you're a level two party with a standard array stats and any classes that you want. You wake up on what seems to be a deserted island. You hear drums. It's not deserted, and you see figures in the distance. <laughs> what is your first response? Take it's off not, my pants. It's not deserted. <laughs> um, so are they asking, like, we have a standard second level party, and what are what second level party I, are we using to get I start get running off? towards the rest of my party, screaming, Michael! Michael! Others! That, that is a deep dive to a... That's lost. Yeah, to, to a 15-year-old show. There yeah. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, I, up I, into a point. No, I will fight you. That is one of... that. That is one of the... One of the hills I'm willing to die on is that Lost, the last season of Lost, was perfect. We just didn't ask for what they gave us. But what they decided to give us, they accomplished perfectly. They misstepped twice in the entire series, and that's not one of it. I discovered Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> true, true. Uh, what are the two missteps? Um, Walt. Yeah, okay. And the fact that they did not introduce the idea of um, Jacob and his brother earlier. The fact that they waited to the last minute. So it felt like a day's ex machina. Mm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my level two party of uh, standard... Any classes party? you want. Any any classes I want. Um, I will go with a party of level two Triton monks. I mean, sure. sure. Why the fuck not? Get, Why? Off, get off the island. Get, but yeah, no, <laughs> fair one. Yeah. Fair one, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I'll also be a Triton. Monk. Um, Aarakocra Rangers? Yeah, that too. I'm sure. just going to go up and shoot down. Like, <laughs> like there we go. Um, it doesn't say races. So just classes? Just classes? Just classes. Uh, monks, Rangers, uh, level two, and there's a horde of things coming I mean, towards you? A bard. Druid. A bunch of bards. Uh, when do rogues get to dash to... S- Coming uh, action is level two. I almost said disintegrate. Disengage or hide. Yeah, it's level two. Yeah. Um, then they can move faster than whoever's coming at them. Monks and, and rogues. Yeah. yeah. Barbarians also have increased movement. But not to level five. Oh, is that what it is? Uh, maybe level seven. Adam? Um, Spidey Rich again. It's funny how this goes cyclically. We didn't plan it. We randomly chose the base. Yeah. But Spidey Rich asks, what's your most memorable crits, both 20s and 1s? Oh, God, fuck. I Catching yeah. a grease pig in a, in a festival. Yeah? Yeah. I remember back in the day where double crits and triple crits were a thing. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, double crit my uh, half-orc barbarian Oscar had at a carnival where they released a greased pig and the it was a series skill challenge to catch the greased pig. Um, and I double crit the like instant the thing popped out of the thing uh, out of the gate. So grease pig ran in. Oscar just leaned over, picked up the grease pig, and put him back in the pen. And I don't know why this is such a memorable thing to me to this day. Because it was anticlimactic in a comedic way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. As for a botch, also Oscar, one of the ways he died, climbed up the side of a ship, tried to introduce himself, and rolled a diplomacy check because it was diplomacy back then. I botched, and that ship full of pirates filled him full of lead, and he died. <laughs> um, like walked up and said, "Hi, I'm Oscar." Bang, 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 bang and he's dead. Um, my most memorable crit is, uh, well, I recently killed Megan's sidekick with a crit. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, her love interest. Second love interest in two campaigns. Uh, uh, this one got eaten, um, and, uh, in front of her. Slowly. Uh, yeah. And like, it was, it was, it was bad. And then we got to recover the digested corpse. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty gross. Uh, so that was, as a DM, that was the crit that, uh, sticks out to me the most at the moment. Uh, the critical failure is going to be Terry. You rolled it, as a matter of fact, uh, for uh, oh, Strahd yes. when he was trying to when oh. he turned invisible and tried to run down the fucking stairs. But I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to cheat you guys. Yeah, so, yeah. Like... so he tripped and fell down beside my cleric, who succeeded on the perception check. He went, oh, okay, and he's prone, right? So he took damage because he tripped. So he became visible, landed beside me, and he's prone. I have advantage. Warhammer to the face, right? And and he got fucking destroyed after that that everybody just jumped on him and kicked his ass and the sun sword was in the room so the sun sword because it was like in the spiral staircase right yeah and the sun sword was like one or two like well like a kind of halfway around above and whoever was holding it i don't think was involved but he hit zero hit points and they were like what what's going on and i was like Fuck, he's within the light of the sword. Yeah. Like, he's dead. He's gone. He <laughs> fucking killed him. Like, out of nowhere. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, I mean, he's fucking dead. So, like, that's it. Can't get over. Like, Congratulations. The Curse of Strahd is uncursed. The Sun Sword yeah. didn't even come into it, other than it being used as a torch. What's going on down there? <laughs> You're killing my vampire. That's what's going on. His name was Keith, by the way. All right. Keith the Sun Sword, yeah. Uh, uh, Terry, do you have a crit? I can't remember. I've had lots. The, yeah, I can't remember so anything many, specifically. Right? Yeah. Okay, user Superfluous Dearth, only about a goodie, uh, asks, what are the key aspects you guys utilize when describing anything in D&D? Whether it is be a person, place, or object, what descriptors do you guys avoid or lean into? What kind of descriptors immerse you the most? For me, sound and smell. Hmm. Um, I want to, uh, those are, I mean, you've listened to Deep Dark. And it was our bane because every single time I wanted to add tension, it was the things your characters heard, right? And every single time I say you heard, Adam and I had to go find a fucking sound effect for that. And by episode three, Adam was sending me fucking text messages saying, stop, fucking, you heard? It's got to be done. We got to be over. It's over. It's done. I will fucking we kill you. We ran out of baleful howls on the internet. There were no more. <laughs> we made our own. Yeah. Um, so like it was uh, for me, I lean with, for descriptors, sound and uh, smell. Uh, we just had a couple episodes on this. I ran this with Jeff and I want to say Kyle, where we got into descriptors and okay. and the language that you use and different things to think about. So 
Uh, I remember seeing this question and going, that's a good episode, and it ballooned into two. Cool. So, episode 195, and then if my math is correct, probably 170, or 188, mm-hmm. because it's seven-episode rotation on yeah. that. So, so, about there, anyway, where we answer this in-depth for probably close to three hours. So, there's my answer. Um, yeah, I think I try and avoid sight, or at least uh, clarity on what you're seeing, uh, for as long as possible. That tends to build a lot of tension. Yeah. Do you have a question? My last question. On that page, we have another page for you. Uh, what was your worst argument over a game? Sorry, this is uh, this is another skip. Uh, what was your worst argument over a game? Uh, follow up, which game and why? Worst argument over a game? <coughs> uh, probably Dan's fucking coughing all the time. We thought we cured him about <laughs> two years ago. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> I quit the podcast for a reason. Uh, no, the for me, it was when you killed my daughter. I was straight up fucking pissed off at you for months yeah, because that, of that. Yeah, that took a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, do better protecting her next time. Anyway. <laughs> Rekindle old fires. I can see this. Uh, my worst argument that I ever had was uh, was I gave a peek behind the curtain to one of my players um, who I worked with at the time. I gave a peek behind the curtain about how this was an unwinnable situation. There was no way for you to do it. I had contingency plans to kill you. This is the narrative beat. We're going to resurrect you next session, but you needed to die this one, this time. He was underwater against a stone golem, and he mm-hmm. was under leveled for it. Like, there was no way, one-on-one, there was no way he was going to make it through this. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, uh, and he got mad and then went to the group chat and said, hey, guess what Adam did? He gave us an unwinnable situation. This isn't D&D. It's not fair. Fuck this. This is all rigged. I hate it. And he went off. And then I went off at him in the chat and then in real life. And then we didn't speak for a week. And his girlfriend actually called me and was like, you guys need to get over this shit. He's been upset for days. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, all right, fine. Here's it. No more peeks behind the curtain. I don't think I've ever had such a big argument with stuff. I mean, I'm not as bad now but i used to be kind of fiery about things i go up and then i just come back down a minute later and but i but i never really get into big arguments like i really don't like i i move on from things like i'll have 30 seconds or a minute where i'm a bit annoyed and then i kind of come down I, especially with things like D and games i really never let it escalate so i honestly have never really had a big argument after a game i really have yeah you're pretty easy going i mean yeah yeah like i never get like and i never have like I just don't like. I only come up for a minute and then I'm fine. Uh, you, Kierkegaardbitter asks, if you were to write a new Watsi published book, what would it be about? Uh, I would do a campaign setting in Thay. Yeah, that's a good one. As a matter of fact, did you know that they actually released an adventure in Thay? I did. Uh, and then it got unpublished because it was part of the D and D Next. Yep. You know when they were inventing, they were. It was that. It was fifth edition's version of one D and D, right? Yeah. So, um, Terry, what would you write it about? Oh, shit. What would I write a book about? Yeah. Uh, if I was going to do like a module. Yeah. Uh, what do I want? What or a source book. Yeah, you can do a source book if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got to do, I got to add on to like Tasha's or something. I need some more gothic stuff in my life. I've been watching Wednesday recently. So. Oh, so good. I know, Jenna Ortega. Anyway, my answer. Ah. Why? <laughs> you guys never get on board with what I'm talking about. Um, my answer is I, I would do a source book with warfare and ship mechanics. Um, 
actual definitive warfare and ship mm-hmm. mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck you, Ghost of Saltmarsh. Ghost- As someone running a pirate campaign, uh, it's hard. Ghost of Saltmarsh got us uh, 60% of the way there. Yeah. No, you're not. Apart. Yep. Uh, so did Spelljammer. Only they got us 40% of the way there. So. Okay. Uh, for me, fuck off. It's a throwaway on Reddit asks. My G- favorite fucking I do. Yeah. It is the best. Yeah. Do you know any good lore for Fierna as she doesn't have a lot of stuff known about her that I could easily find? Also, her symbol that I found uh, as belonging to her is a flaming buckled sword. What in the hells would that actually look like? Um, so a buckled sword is a sword with a cage on it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fiery sword with a cage. Like around the hand so yeah. that your hand is protected. Yeah. Um, as for lore about Fierna, she's one of the, she's the one that has the, uh, lover who is also potential. Yeah. Who's also potentially her dad or her brother or. Yeah. It depending. It's like Jack White, depending on who you ask. Like <laughs> Are the white stripes married or siblings? Yeah, right. right. So it, it's it's uh, there's there's lots of weird stuff there. They rule they rule the fourth level of the nine hells. Right, that is their thing, and they're they're weird BDSM Lannister feel. Right. Yeah. Like, and they find, Terry's like I'm listening. I'm listening. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's not a whole lot of information uh, available on her, except if you go digging through, if you can find old PDFs of uh, 3.5 Forgotten Realms books or AD&D, there are some little bits and pieces here and there yeah. where you can find some books that haven't been updated in the wikis because it's so old. Right? Or The internet didn't exist back then. Or so. alternatively, watch Hellraiser and just change some names. Look, yeah, if, if I can be honest, uh, the beauty of the Nine Hells and the... Even the the Archdevils, the Demon Lords, all of these, uh, the General Gehenna, all of them, uh, Primus, uh, who runs um, Me- uh, Mechanus, right? Like, the beauty of all this is you get to do it yourself. I I like Zeriel well enough. I'm glad that we got just the first level of, yeah. of no, Archdevil you. and nothing more, right? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My question? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Tarzan of the, de- of the Desert from Reddit says... I hope Terry reads this overly specific question. Oh, good. You know <laughs> Off to a I great start. Specific questions, and thank you for the paragraph. <laughs> Hopefully it's about something that I'll be able to answer. Can the chef feet and the bard's song of rest stack? Jesus uh, As long as the bard gives an entertaining oration of what they are preparing. Here's the chef's feet, so you don't have to look it up. Thank you. I, I thought I was going to look it up. I thought I was going to look it up. I thought I was going to look it up. You're proficient in a tall hat. Yeah. Increase your constitution of wisdom score by one to max 20. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, say that again because Dan forgot how to podcast. (laughs) Increase your con or wisdom score by one to a maximum of 20. You gain proficiency with cook's utensils if you don't have it. Uh, As part of a short rest, you can cook special food provided you have ingredients and cook's utensils on hand. You can prepare enough of this food for a number of creatures equal to four plus your proficiency bonus. At the end of the short rest, any creature who eats the food and spends one or more hit dice to regain hit points regains an extra 1d8 hit points. With one hour of work or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats equal to your proficiency bonus. These special treats last eight hours after being made. A creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those treats to gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. P.S. I'm one of your YouTube listeners. Thank you very much for being one of our YouTube listeners, Tarzan of the Desert. That's great. And because we're talking about a maximum of temporary hit points equal to a proficiency bonus, I'm going to say, yeah, do what the fuck you want before you get your five hit points. 
Well, as far as the healing stuff goes and Song of Rest, yeah, it's two different things. Do you cast Healing Word and Cure Wounds? Yeah, you get fucking both, right? That's fine. As far as temporary hit points, we know what that answer is. You, whatever the higher temporary hit points is, is what you get, what you have. Temp- hit points don't stack. Yeah. That's, um, that's the rules written. The, the, the only, I think the contention here is that you are spending an hour cooking for for that. I mean, you still get your, long, your short rest uh, yeah. during that, so you would still get it. Um, but song of rest means you are also singing and entertaining and, and, and doing your thing. So as somebody who comes from a background in the hospitality industry, yes, do both. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cooks can sing. You're in. Um, thanks for, thanks for, uh, you're a YouTube listener. So thank you for, I actually do appreciate 99% of the YouTube listeners. You know who you are. Um, Kirkerbutt bitter. We got another one. says, thanks about switching, uh, thinking about switching to call of Cthulhu system for my group's next campaign what was your biggest challenge in learning the system for the deep deck of radiance and the many roads to amelia game <laughs> combat is a fucking nightmare and people will lose their goddamn turn by simply fighting back on someone else's turn that is an issue that if you are not used to that is a problem yeah. also the round lasts as long as you want it to last everybody's turn lasts whatever it kind of feels right and so depending on the situation it can last 10 seconds or two seconds or a full minute but everybody has to have the same amount of time on their turn in the round yeah um and also just a heads up your initiative never changes it's based on your dexterity score who has the highest they go first every time every time yep so something to think about when you're rolling up your character that's uh we play Call of Cthulhu on Fridays mm-hmm. I have noticed that that annoys some people um if for uh for the keeper keep track of who's got a weapon out and if it's loaded uh specifically a gun because if there's a loaded firearm initiative changes so initiative can change every round as people jump upwards and downwards depending on whether or not they have a loaded firearm in their hand user Shatner pants I finally got one um, is going to ask if a player takes the magic initiate feat and chooses the from the warlock spell list, would you make them also choose a patron? Thanks. Um, for the uh, for the feat, I don't think it's so much a patron for the feat. I I would say you would have to have a contact. It doesn't necessarily need to be a patron, but a con uh, contact. I, I think that spending enough time at a fucking altar and getting enough inspiration off of the patron's altar, yeah, enough to learn what the thing is, that'll do it for you. Yeah, or 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 an old book that you're carrying around with you to like glean some of that power from the patron. Uh, on. One of the warlocks dropped their tome, like the Pact of the Tome dropped. It. We have a character in our campaign who is a dream goddess that Terry's old character was like the last surviving cleric of. And, like, if we found a Tome of Jerilius somewhere around, then 100%, yeah, someone should be able to take, like, a Magic Initiate feat for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd allow that. Yeah. Terry? What was the question? Magic Sorry. Initiate uh, and Warlock Spell List, do they have to have a patron? No. I think people, because I'm on a D&D podcast, people care about real specific things a lot more than me. Welcome I to like Dungeons I just, and Dragons, I just yes. let things go sometimes. Yeah. Eh, eh, yeah, fine. Yeah, the rule of cool. Yes, do the thing, right? Yeah. Uh, do, I would totally put that patron somewhere in the world, but they're not necessarily, like, if it's... Uh, It'd be one of those, oh, you're one of mine. Okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. I didn't give you that. How did you learn that? Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. If you get high enough level. But do they have to commune with that patron? No. That's just a future plot hook for level 18. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Cyberhawk asks, 
As a guy DMing his first ever campaign, having never played more than a couple of one-shots himself, any tips on how to approach DMing in the micro? I feel like I have a lot of cool ideas, a lot of them shamelessly stolen from you guys, thank you, uh, regarding the story as a whole, but struggle with building proper atmosphere and tension in the sessions. Uh, I mean, yeah, slow down, I think, is the biggest thing I've learned. Yeah. In your mind, you will have this thing which is supposed to happen next. Okay, they're this close to the encounter, but they're fucking around. They didn't get through the door yet. They didn't do this. Okay, oh, they're finally in the room. Ha ha! Wizard, whatever, monster. And, uh, and, and we lose the tension because we stop rushing into what we think is supposed to happen. Yeah. Slow down. Let them play it out. Let them, even if it's just on the other side, let them smell the bricks or do whatever they're fucking doing. Send their familiars and do whatever. Just slow down. Flesh it out. It will come. Let your players kind of dictate um, a little bit more of the pacing. Like you said, slow down. Mm. But like as a DM who sometimes uh, has a big picture but has nothing for the micro... Um, my whole thing is I let the players talk, and while they're talking, while they're role-playing or figuring out a rule or something, I'm using that time to be like, okay, I guess we can do this kind of encounter next, or or, or whatever it is, right? Like, this is where the players have led, this would make the most sense, go, right? Um, also, and I cannot say this emphatically enough, <laughs> steal more shit. Like, don't be sorry that you're stealing it from us. That's okay. That's steal why it from- we do this. That's why we yes. do this. You want to do a a, a storyline of five dragons that take over the world and a group of heroes go and kill them all and you want to name it the color group or something? That's probably bad. But still. <laughs> the don't, color group. Don't call it the color group. Don't call it, but like you want to the steal from... The group are marching through town again with their banners. <laughs> Shut up. Still need to drink my coffee. No. So the the... If you want to steal like unabashedly from Critical Role or Game of Thrones or some shit, go ahead. Name your characters John Icebank. I don't give a shit. Like it, it's steal things. That's no, what we do this for. The, the 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 references are always appreciated at my table, at least. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants here. Yeah, exactly. Unless everybody is individually invented the concept of dragons, you know, we're, all, <laughs> we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. We did two episodes on storylines, just about recycling other people's themes and plots. And yeah, how to slam that shit together. But honestly, when it comes to the micro, I think you're right. My answer is listen. Yeah. Listen and then react truthfully. And by truthfully, yes, it's a fantasy game and you're making shit up as you go. But the truth of the world. If this dungeon was made by kobolds and they're like, is there a trap here? Yes. Yes, there is. Yeah, sure, kobolds not? made it. And so it's probably crude, but also very effective. And hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So like, know the truth of your environment, your story, your players, both NPCs and, and the players themselves. And then listen and react accordingly. Yeah. Stay consistent. That's it. And if you make a rule uh, call on the fly, make sure you note it down so that you know. Or a story beat that you're making up on the fly, write it down so that you remember. That's bad for me and my ADHD brain. Um, Another skip from Reddit asks, how would you balance crossbows versus longbows? How they're currently balanced? Yeah, I wouldn't. They're fine. Longbows have better range and do more damage. And, or no, have better range. Crossbows do more damage. More damage. Uh, Maybe crossbows no. are D10. You don't get to D8. add your decks to crossbows, I don't think. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. And you have to worry or about... Is that a 3.5 thing? No, I think you... No, you do get to add your decks. Yeah, yeah, you do. I'm yeah. pretty sure. It's I, my 3.5 bleeding in. Sorry, I, yeah, guys. I don't think the internet's screaming at me for that one. Yeah, you, it's uh, heavy crossbows are D10, longbows are D8. Yeah, I, I, it could be the reload capability. Reload. I don't care. It's fine. It's fine because different kind of classes get different kinds of 
weapons. That's it. It's like, oh, how can you rebalance the great axe for a rogue? You, you don't. You just don't. That's not. That's not the thing that's happening. Here. That's not. Yeah. I mean, there's a ripple effect, and then you're rebalancing everything. Yeah. Like no. yeah. When when you're getting down to the minutia of this, it, it's it's you are just engaging in an act in an exercise in futility. And if, if I want to be honest, by the time that I hit tier late tier two, anyway, I've handed out plus one weapons. I have no problem changing a damage die on a special crossbow or a special yeah. longbow or whatever. Like. I'll just say yes. You can use the damage die of this for this weapon. I've done that in the past. One, one right. of Everyone, my everyone's had a longsword that's done three d six damage. Um, one of my characters in my current game has a great sword that does two d six necrotic. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. And so it's just, and yes, that that throws the bounded accuracy off a little bit, but it's okay because the more damage they do, the more damage my monsters do. Like exactly. it, it scales. Watch the power creep. But it scales, like you're okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, unless you've had a petition of 500 signatures from your local game store, there's probably, there's probably no need to take this one on. Okay, yeah. Good luck getting them to show up all the same day. <laughs> uh, Miss Rogue 1701 from Reddit. Oh, this is an old one. This, this is like, I'm not sure she's there anymore. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, oops. Well, if you're still listening, Miss Rogue, we are finally getting to your questions. Um, also, Star Trek nerd 1701. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Wait, there's, that's two seventeen oh one. Oh, the seventeen oh one references stuff. Yeah, yeah. The that's the Enterprise the NCC one seven oh one. Shit, that's right. And Rogue, I guess Star Wars, Star Trek, and, or X Men. Yeah, and Miss, like most of my D and D players, in the role of D twenty. Oh, that's sad. We've had players die recently, Adam. <laughs> yes, we have sixty percent kill ratio. Yeah, Char- characters die. We've then. had yeah, sorry, we've had the characters die. Uh, anyways, so uh, Miss Rogue seventeen oh one wants to know what our opinion is on Landon and Seder races. Uh, Leonin, did you say? Leonin, yeah. Okay. Leonin, 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 Leonin. Okay. Leo. Yeah, it's a Leo. it's a I mean, Leo. I was guessing when I thought Leonin, but yeah, no, it's a Leonin. You're the only person I've ever heard say Leonin for some reason. Oh well, you probably got that from Russell. No, no, he's gonna be mad if I say this on the podcast, but it's not a Pagoda, all right. The pagoda, yeah, the pagoda, yes. yeah. Leonin, then Leonin and Satir. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I, yeah, I like him. Uh, I, we had we had uh, Leonin, who was a barbarian, die in our campaign, and uh, we just had a satyr show up. And we just had a satyr show up, who's like a sexy bondage satyr as well. Kind the, of, yeah. kind of. That's yeah. just what the art is. So hey, it works. Why not? Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm. I am fully on board with whatever the players want to play. I think I draw the line at like the plasmids. I don't understand plasmoids. plasmoids. You're gonna get there eventually, Dan. Don't worry. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Leonin, I'm interested in. I think I would like to do like a Leonin Paladin or something next. Uh, and Satyrs, I've had a lot of fun with that Satyr NPC you had like four years ago, <laughs> yeah, five Rinsky. years ago. Fuck, he that was <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I, the, I, okay, so I love Leonin because they are. Um, furry Klingons for me. Yep, no, I, I play them safe. They're just, and it, they're not necessarily warriors. They're the honor side of, of furry, furry Klingons. But no, they're the warrior side. They, they're not the bloodthirsty. Oh warriors. yeah, yeah. They're, they're not. They're not drinking the their wine from the skulls of their enemies, right? Or, um, but they are very much like a a honor bound race, and I like their mechanics. Support that. I like them best in Theros. They make the most sense there, and they've got a, they've got a really cool society. I wish we got more Leonin shit. Yep, 
Right. We only have a handful of paragraphs about that book about them. I'd like to know what their legit society looks like. Um, satyrs, though, I love me a horny fae. I, I, I gotta say, there's been a lot of Star Trek references. As much as Leonin are, Leonin are furry Klingons, are satyrs just like exceptionally horny Ferengi? No, 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 uh, no. Okay, everyone can play satyrs differently. There's a little, it, how, how fey is your fey? That's your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? How fey is your fey? Do they get up to shit? Do they want to steal babies? Do they want to uh, eat your hair? Do they want to just trade for buttons? Do, like, how dangerous are they? How horny are they? How mystical and weird? How much do you lean into the blue-orange mentality? It's really up to you. Seder can be anything to anyone, which I really like. Uh, but satyrs for me are always, um, they're my worship the fertility gods races. So, love me a good satyr. They always have statues of just, like, comically large generals. That was the first introduction to a satyr I had, was I think we found Rizkin's... I think we found the statue first. Yeah. Because it was outside of his house, and I believe it was his wife, or his long-lost partner, yeah. or whatever. And then I just remember you... I can't even remember how you described it, but basically you just said, there's a statue of a satyr with massive tits in the yard. Oh, <laughs> we like, outside, outside, it was him... Uh, it was him, but it was like the statue was like eight feet tall, um, but he was on a pedestal, and his schlong was so large and girthy, it was as wide as he was, and it touched the ground. But inside, taking up the entire side of the house, was this massive breasted, um, like almost a um, like a totem of his long lost wife that was just like, Rubbed smooth and some Yeah, yeah, it, it was like, it like had a sheen on like the breasts and other places. It was yeah. like I wasn't sure what I was hearing. I was like, but, oh, I hear this. But he was, but like you, you would talk to him about it, and he would be like, "I miss her so much, and I just love her." And it was just his own weird way of of honoring her memory. Right. Um. So like, it wasn't particularly sexual at the table, and I've got a group of mature players, so I can get away with that shit. But like, <laughs> I love me a good satyr. Yeah, they're just hilarious. Oh man. My question, uh, MV Willems asks, how do you plan out your BBG's overarching plan or just their plans, ambitions in general? Do you plan it out specifically or session by session? I'm interested in your thoughts and opinions. I kind of start at the end and then work my way backwards. Um, like I know where they're heading. I know what their overarching plan to get there would be. And then I kind of plan it backwards. Um, and then, then I don't stick things. I don't glue it to a certain session. I think things are meant to be discovered, meant to be encountered with in interesting ways. I don't mind if behind the curtain I kind of pick things up and move things around. And then I'll try and incorporate interesting things from the lore, which makes sense along with it. For example, my BBEG um, right now uh, has like uh, infernal contracts that they've signed and him and the lieutenants have signed them. So um, every now and again, the players are coming across these contracts and it kind of um, dictates the activity so far what is going to be happening next. So that's what I think. Um, I do kind of the same thing. You know what their end game is first, mm. right? And their end game will often dictate. You know that the necromancer wants to raise the army of the dead. Like it, who they are dictates their end game a lot of the time, right? The wizard wants to be have godhood. The red dragon wants everyone to kneel to them, right? Like you know exactly what you're getting into, um, and that should be pretty straightforward. But then in my head, I think about the map, and they should have influence all over the place. Where do they not have influence, and why? And then I start to think about the the two things. One, what's their timetable, and what are the triggering events? So, for example, if you go, your you know your players at level eight are going to liberate this city from this evil 
Death Knight. Okay, great. What happens when that happens? He's going to hit back. Yeah. And every time, and that's my thing about the Big Bad Evil guy, is my players don't hit his radar at first. He doesn't give a shit. They're just, you know, up jump heroes. Like, fuck you, I'll kill you later. You're not worth my effort. Yeah. Until they start to do stuff, at which point I ratchet up the tension by then overcompensating and hitting them back harder. You killed my lieutenant, I killed your sister. I will always then up the stakes over and over. Uh, you wiped out my fleet of ships, I destroyed your home city, right? And it will keep getting bigger and bigger until it's time to finally kill this guy. So that's yeah. that's why at some point, about the midpoint in the campaign, it becomes fucking personal. And now the big bad evil guy still has his eye on the goal, but in, in the last 10%, he will give up the goal to get revenge, right? And that makes it far more fun for the for the players. Um, for me, I, I mean, well, exactly what you guys said. Like, I uh, I start backwards. Um, like, I start at the end game and I work my way back. Um, I tend to also plan out what MacGuffins the, the big bad evil guy needs to accomplish their goals and what lieutenant I'm sending after that MacGuffin. And then what tier that MacGuffin and that Lieutenant are going to be. And then after that, I'm fairly hands-off. Um, I've had campaigns where the Big Bad Evil guy was one of the favorite NPCs of the party. And they did not know until level 17. And they met this guy at session 3. Right? Like, um, yeah, and but, he's but just you, running shit from the background. Yeah, you plan that deception early though. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, I knew that deception was happening when I introduced the character. Right? Um, I was trying to set up that type of character with my current party. And they found out, like, I got a chaos embodied player. Like, he's just, he just lives for the throwing me off my game. And uh, I said, we're doing a pirate campaign. And he rolled a paladin. And I'm like, you fuck. (laughs) It's like my Call of Cthulhu campaign. I'm like, you guys are all intelligent investigators hunting this down. I'll be a hobo. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, the, he goes, oh, that guy's a spy. And I'm like, how do you know? That Roscoe's a spy. Like, come on. How do you know that Roscoe's a spy? Little little halfling that's like, they found him in the middle of the ocean, right? And uh, he's just like, I don't know. He's just a spy. I know he's a spy. And lo and behold, he was a spy for a hag that they just killed last session. The paladin killed him in two swings of this 2d6 necrotic damage sword. I'm just like, he like crit. And then on our crit tables, there's a, if you roll a dice, you get another action. And he crit on that action as well. I'm like, you yes. son of a bitch. Beautiful. Took, took it down from, like, 20 hit points to 190 in one turn. I'm just like, I I can't even fudge this. You kill her. She's dead. Yeah. Here's Santa Claus. Fight that. Like, like this is... Yeah. It, it was just... Yeah. So, uh, be okay with having a potential uh, rewrite option. So, keep things loose. Yeah, yeah. Um, King of Rot asks... <laughs> and I feel like we've answered this already. Okay. How many lieutenants do you give your big villains, and how do you make slash choose them? Yeah. Do you focus more on type, like brute for a caster type villain, theme, undead for a necromancer, or the surrounding areas, it's a cobalt den, so just pick a cobalt. Any and all examples from previous campaigns are welcome and encouraged. Thanks. That's on Terry's list from before. Yeah. That question I remember that how many, but I don't remember the details of theme and stuff unless he's yeah. asking. Well, which, well, okay, let's do that then. What do you like better? Do you do the, do you do it based on mechanical type, like what purpose are they going to serve in the combat? Do you do it based on the theme or do you do it based on location? I do a theme. I do theme, but I try to, I try to blend a couple of themes to kind of throw them off yeah. a little bit. Um, like my, my party right now, it's very like Tyranny of Dragons, very cult heavy, but all of a sudden they've like 
come across drow in the mountains now that they weren't really expecting. So, like, what is the reason that the drow are involved mm-hmm. in this? So, I'll kind of do that. Is I'll throw out something that thematically doesn't seem to match. In- immediately, it's not obvious why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's theme for me, but uh, I need the theme for the narrative purposes, and then I will choose to do a little bit of the the type. I mean, you should never have the same kind of lieutenant over and over and over again. Yeah. Otherwise, you're doing the same fight over and over again. So, yeah. so I think more about how effective is my party. I don't tend to throw caster lieutenants at my party in tier one, but I will absolutely need to have a, a caster in, in tier, tier three. four. Yeah. Right. Like it, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. So it's all about the hit points in tier one. It's all about the environment in tier two. And then after that, it's how fucky can I get? Speaking of the environment, this is something that uh, I would recommend everybody think. When you're choosing your lieutenants, think of the environment. Lieutenants. Yeah, your lieutenants. When you, you when, when you think of that, uh, think of the environment they're in and don't put them in an environment that's going to disfavor them. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't put them at the ledge of the cliff. Don't put the caster in a small room. Yeah. Right? Like, don't do these things. Sometimes I like that. That's fucking chaos. It, it's chaos, Jump yes. Jump fog cloud or something. Yes, but at the same time, you want to... It's like the under in the small room. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You want to undermine your villain's effectiveness. Have them be in a situation where the environment is working against them. Right. right? If your players engineer that, that's one thing. But if you are just dropping that lieutenant on them, make that environment bend toward benefiting the lieutenant before it benefits the party. Yeah. One of my most memorable battles, in my head anyway, because of environment, was a town full of Medusas. There were three Medusas, they were at a mansion, there was a bunch of um, statues all over the place, and the characters figured out pretty quickly, oh, all of these stone statues are clearly the villagers, right? But they were standing on top of the mountain, or uh, on top of the mansion, shooting longbows down at the players, and their longbows are pretty nasty. Yeah. So they had to get up to the top of the mansion, which was a mad dash, but everybody moves at different speeds. So when the barbarian and the ranger get up there before the fighter and the monk, I don't know why the monk didn't go up there first, but um, they were suddenly fucked because it's three Medusas against half the party. Yeah. Right? And so that was that was really sketchy. And so then they ended up retreating, and then they had to fight the Medusas, and we don't know which room they're in in the house. Right? And so the Medusas themselves, a single one or two of them, are it's always weird to say medusas it shouldn't be plural but anyway um it's uh medusae nope um <laughs> no it it they're dangerous enough it was the setting that was so scary about it right yeah yeah well one one of the best encounters my party like i i feel that i put at my party was um they were dealing with a uh, warlock on a ship who was just teleporting throughout the ship and like shanking absolutely everybody they could and they had to catch this uh, run this guy down they were level five and the npc that i built was like level three with a like a character level level three with just a magic item that let him do some weird teleport stuff and it was one of the most memorable experiences because they're they're getting so frustrated because they can't pin this guy down and it's like if he stood and like just stood still for one round he'd be dead They'd wipe the absolute floor with this guy, but he refused to do so and like was hiding in closets and like was popping out and like I killed three NPCs with this lower level character because they could not pin him down and also collateral damage. So they're like, yeah, he's somewhere in this room. Fireball. That's a mistake, guys. Guys, guys, that's a mistake. <laughs> but yeah, that's bad. Um, sorry, just one final thing for the example of lieutenants. My favorite thing that I've ever done with lieutenants is actually in the current campaign that we're in right now because I have telegraphed who the lieutenants are from the very beginning, before the campaign started, 
we knew who the lieutenants were because it was the last campaign was against the goddess of death and there were a number of requirements that have to happen in order for you to turn someone into a mummy lord or what's the difference between a, someone who dies and someone who becomes a ghost and so there were all of these different things that had to happen and we ended the campaign with all of my players ticking specific boxes so we ended up with one person ascending who died to ascend to become the angel of death we had a ghost a mummy lord a lich a death knight and a vampire and so now they are the lieutenants for the goddess of death they flipped to become the enemies for this campaign that was really fun and it was all the players and of course all of the players have magic weapons and special things about them and like it's going to be a shit show yeah it is going to be absolute fucking chaos um so and we were level 20 when we did this switch as well like oh yeah yeah yeah. like so this guys, is not going to go well for us no um so there's uh that was my favorite because we know now and everyone, all the players on the table are kind of holding their breath going, when are we going to run into the first one, right? We've so. already run into, like, we ran into Rezu yeah. the other day uh, in the game. Oh, yeah. So I finally got to meet my first campaign character. Uh, Did they, he annoy the piss out of They me? also no, ran into uh, Solomon great. Duke, who was a ghost. Oh, yeah. That, that Rezu actually sent into Barovia um, to go spy on Strahd. So um, Solomon Duke is the one that drives Strahd's carriage and sees who comes in and out. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling me. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm a... And that's... I was like, when did we run into Solomon Duke? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that. And and two of our players who would be, like, the most emotionally connected to that were in a different encounter on the other side. So it was, like, me and Charlie talking to your old character. It was hilarious because they walked up and I'm like, yeah, there's a, a spectral figure sitting on top of the carriage, um, like, at the front. Uh, and as you approach, you can see these, he's got this big black cloak and a top hat on, which Solomon Duke always had. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you can smell coffee as you approach. Yeah. <laughs> and Megan is like, oh, oh, fuck. And she got it before anybody else did, but she wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> like, her character wasn't physically there, so they had to sit there and watch. Um, and I want you to know I did not do the voice. Thank I, you. He says in a very Terry-esque way. <laughs> very Terry. I'm playing out his... I've added him as an NPC in my current campaign to play out his origin story. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. yeah so. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, Miss Rogue 1701, again, sorry for how long it's been since this one. Clearly since around Mystic Odysseys of Theros. Uh, yeah, because if you can make one UA official, what would it be for them? It was the Astral Self Monk. Hmm. Hmm. That, well, that one got made official. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations, you're good. How's that job at Watsy treating you? Yeah. <laughs> um, none. There's no such thing anymore. It's one D&D. All the UA has since come and gone, and, um... None. I it, it, what I want them to make official is all the PDFs. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. yeah. collect it all and put like put it the PDF collection and release it as a fucking hardcover book. It's that stuff in there is good. The domains of of delight is fantastic. Yeah, the Phoenix Folio is good. The bearded man with a bald head. Of course, I'm gonna get excited. <laughs> and a and a very skinny wand. Um, <laughs> but he's got a massive dog. Okay, it's a mastiff. Okay. I hate you people. It isn't, though. It's a hound. All of the art, it's a mastiff. But it's a hound. Yeah, okay, but the Steel Defender is always a dog, too. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be, but this Mordekainen, and it's iconic. Is a mastiff not a type of hound? It is. Yeah, but so's a so's a wiener dog, so... In my head, it's always a large wiener dog. Like, I'm, like a nearly medium-sized wiener dog. A comically large yeah. yeah, wiener dog, yeah. Yeah. So, UA PDFs. <laughs> <laughs> my question? Yeah. 
Alexander another skip Davis asks oh so so uh, so do you write the AI writing aid has a D&D section what do you think about that Ah, oh, look, this is, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out with AI, right? We're not going to be on board with it, and we're going to be like, but this is going to ruin creativity and ruin this thing and ruin this thing. Just, we'll, just let us settle down. We'll figure it out. Everything's early. Um, it will, we'll figure it out as people. Most people are good and will not abuse AI and all these things. We just got to figure it out. The, the one worried. thing about the AI that has come out recently, because, uh, I was starting to use it for like NPC art. It was really, really great for NPC yeah. art. And then I realized that a lot of the uh, background information that the AI builds things off of is unaccredited art. Like they're not saying, "Oh yeah, we got this from this artist." They have to. They have to have a database to pull from to be able to read all these yeah. images or songs or novels or whatever. They have to have that database, and you can better fucking believe nobody paid the artists or the creators, yeah. right? No. So, so, so I am. I'm. I'm a little bit more hesitant to use it now because of that reason. The writing aids at the same time. No, man, I'll just come up with my own shit. That that's okay. I'll I'll use like randomly generated plot line stuff as inspiration, but I'm not I'm not using a AI generated campaign. Like uh, it'll settle down. We'll figure it out the same way that yeah. uh, it used to be. It's the same thing for music when it was like Napster and LimeWire and all that. You know, then Spotify comes along and we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Don't no pitchforks and torches just yet. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Also, can I just say the thing that drives me nuts the most about it is it's not artificial intelligence. It's not an AI bot by any fucking means. It's just an algorithm. It's just an algorithm. Like right. there's no logic connecting the fucking dots besides what a programmer has plugged in yeah. so so that alone as everyone sits there and panics this is killing creativity the robots will no the robots will do what they're fucking told the way that they always have yeah and so that's yeah that's right so i mean from a from a very outside perspective of the conversation like that drives me nuts but no i won't use it just on principle people should fucking get paid yep so um shatner pants asks <laughs> kuatoa in the feywild what could go wrong? So much. So much. So much. So the Feywild is... I don't know I don't know where this came from. This is just... This, There's no context no, here at so, all, really. But the, the, the Feywild is just all about emotion and, um, and people with big feelings and everything is ramped up to 11. So you take Kuatoa and their fear and the way that they create gods out of sheer belief. This is only going to make terrifying Feywild fish creatures. Yeah. Gods. That, I'm all about that. I'm yeah. actually, I'm quite into that. Yeah. yeah. Th this is how Elder Gods are made. Like, like also the Cthuloid. King. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> I'm going to move on. Fish or Fey? Hmm? For your kink. Uh, well, first one, then the other, right? Like Shatner Pants also says... Hold that on. Fey's definitely prettier. But you know that Kuatoa get up to weird shit. At no point is an Orphis off the table with the Kuatoa. I, uh, on, uh, yeah, but there's also a lot of... They do weird gill shit. Like you I think there's a lot the of also weird spraying shit. Like, it's just... Hey, man, I'm all about yeah. that. Let's get some shit There's done. spawning pits with a ledge where everybody just lines up and goes to... Fertilize team. these fish eggs, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Shatner Pants says that she <laughs> loves the show. <laughs> Shatner Pants says that they love our show... Why? Why? Yeah, um, <laughs> we don't even love our show. <laughs> How do you handle and or do you allow spell storing items to hold spells that have casting times longer than one action, but the effect is instant? For example, prayer of healing stored in a ring of spell storing. Does the character have to do the full ten minute casting to use the stored spell? Uh, the to use the stored prayer of healing, or did the character already spend the casting time casting it into the ring, and now it's an instant 
And now it's an instant release. It's an instant release. You use the casting time, casting it into the ring. Is that, that the rule is written? Yeah, that, that's the rule. You that's have, the rule you have to use okay. a spell slot at, at, in order to load an item. And therefore, yeah. you cast it into the item. And, and the spell stored is the level of the spell you use. So if you're like a level 5 fireball, it's going to do the damage of a level 5 fireball. And it just holds it in there, and then it releases it instantly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it edges itself. Here you go. Okay, cool. We cleared it up for you. Well, I didn't, but I'm on the show, so I include myself as one of the people that cleared it up. I blow M-Ho. Okay, Do you now? Good for M-Ho, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I blow M-Ho. I don't think that's how you say it. Uh, I find it difficult for me to give downtime to my players because I tend to run campaigns with some sort of time pressure. That incentivizes the PCs to stay out in the field. Uh, do you have any tips for how to incorporate downtime when the characters are out in the wilderness or, or in a dungeon for prolonged periods? Um, for out in the wilderness... Uh, yeah, there's there's all kinds of... it's it, For me, it's just a type of encounter. Encounters don't always need to be combat encounters or creepy things. There are traveling merchants. There there may be a family at the side of the road and the wag- their wheel has fallen off their wagon, but they happen to be fortune tellers or circus performers or, or whatever. So the wilderness is not too difficult to do. There are other people in the world, and these people all have their own jobs, purposes, agendas, and your party can come across those people. Um, in a dungeon, it is a little bit harder to do downtime because to have downtime in a dungeon is particularly dangerous. Uh, don't take it off the table. For me, it sounds like when I read the first part of this question, I find, I find it difficult to give my players downtime because I tend to run my campaigns with some sort of time pressure. Change how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're finding it difficult to have downtime because you are adding too much time pressure. So the solution is just take the time pressure off. It's not extremes. It's not on or off can be on sometimes, you take it off and then enjoy the downtime. If the players seem to enjoy downtime, they seem to be trying to find a reason to have some. They are telling you that's how they enjoy the game. And your uh, your purpose of being the DM is to try and provide them enjoyment. Uh, so just uh, take the time pressure off sometimes if it helps. One of the things I think that plays into this, because I'm, I'm often guilty of this as well, is a lack of preparation, which then breeds into, I'm just going to throw combat encounters at them and it just makes this a slog. Right. Um, And by throwing combat encounters, you're adding time pressure. Um, If it's a so try, like you said, try different types of encounters. Uh, We've said earlier in this episode, have your spreadsheets, have your prepared encounters beforehand that you can kind of slot wherever. Do that. Right. Uh, Have them investigate that puzzle box they found three rooms ago as downtime in the dungeon or something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I prep the downtime when I know it's going to be particularly crunchy and like the time is up. And I always... In, if there's a ticking clock, when that clock is done one way or the other, downtime, right? And it should, especially at the end of a tier, you defeated a lieutenant, you've done a set-piece encounter, you get downtime. This is when I like to level people because of the milestone leveling that I do, but it's also where you get to go shopping, you get to interact with NPCs, we do a lot of uh, midweek content. But if I know that I'm going out there into a dungeon, then I'm going to give them shit that they have to accomplish in during short and long rests, right? That they have to... The wizard found a, a spell book. It's in another language. They can translate it. It takes time. That's their downtime during a short rest. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's that kind of shit. Puzzle boxes. And I used to physically hand out, like, brain teaser puzzles yes. like, uh, to people to get them to pull apart the puzzle and then put it back together. If you do, you open up a puzzle box and inside is a potion, a scroll, something useful, right? Yeah. So, um, and that would have people 
we would take little breaks, say, okay, bathroom break, we're getting drinks and stuff, pull out the puzzle boxes, go. And so we would actually like replicate that as well at the table. I recommend that. Some people like that better than others. Um, user Andler says, so this is for everyone. Guys, can we call the others? No? Okay. I want to ask how each of you deal with the passive skills. For example, how do you deal with passive perception when PCs are taking watch? Do you tell them outright that something is out there, or do you hint towards it? And I'm most curious about how you deal with passive insight. Do you tell the PCs that the NPC is lying, or do you give them subtle hints that they are lying? And if they aren't lying, how would you describe it? And lastly, how do you deal with passive investigation? Like, how would you describe a hidden door without giving it away? Much love from Iceland. Ooh. Iceland. 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 Get in. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah, love it. Um, um, okay, so passive perception. So passive perception is the easiest one because I learned a thing from Call of Cthulhu where they don't have perception skills. Um, they have spot hidden and they have listen, and that's just it. And listen is for when you are eavesdropping specifically, and spot hidden is when things are hidden. And you can use it to find someone who is blending into a crowd, uh, which would normally be a a uh, perception check or uh, working through a like a desk drawer or whatnot, yeah. which is an investigation check, right? Everything else just happens. When I walk into a room, I instantly see what's there, right? So I started running D&D that way. If, it's, if it requires any sort of role, it's because it is particularly difficult to see. And for me, the moment you hit level five, I don't have perception checks under a... An, under a um, Difficulty challenge of 10. Yeah. Just why fucking bother? Yeah. You see it. You're passive. Everybody <laughs> barely have that before level five. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I just give it to people. When it comes to lying, though, my NPCs are so. I'm going to put this. Duplicitous? No. <laughs> you would think that. <laughs> um, my NPCs are grounded in um, real world motivations, which means that there's no such thing as telling the truth or lying. They have their own agendas, and they will do what they need to do it. Most of the time, they will tell you as much of the truth as you need to know. But I will tell you this right now. I am sitting in a room with people around me, and I'm not telling 100% of the truth because nobody needs to hear about the poop I had this morning. You always hold information back. You do? Yeah. Most people, Dan doesn't. He has a filter issue. So. <laughs> Adam will call me and I'll be like, one second, just dropping one. <laughs> like, I will call you back. Why did you answer the phone? <laughs> um, so, no, the the answers are always willing to hold things back and reveal more stuff later. Yeah. So the insight that I give them, depending on how well you roll, and Dan, you get frustrated with this, I always say, it seems like they're telling the truth. Fucking the ambiguity. Just drive it. Seems like? What do you mean seems like? Yeah. It, it appears as if there's nothing else in this room. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> right? Because you either... And if you rolled super high and it appears there's nothing else here, there's nothing else here. And if you rolled super low, it appears like there's nothing else here. There's definitely something there. What about there. the dreaded 13? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, what does that mean? Does the, do we... Do I put inspiration dice? Do, what do I... <laughs> well, the, and that's just it. The moment you think that, like, the moment the conditions change, you have reason to be suspicious, you can roll again. Yeah. Right? But especially for NPCs, I get a beat on everybody. I get a pretty good ability to read people. Um, and I just assume everybody else does. So if someone's a little shifty, I will just say their eyes are darting back and forth. That's enough. If the players don't pick up on that, then they were clearly looking at their phones and fuck them. We've mm -hmm. said this a couple times on the podcast where insight is also, and this is, this is kind of where I'm going to uh, build my argument here is insight is not detect lies. Yeah. Right. Um, and you are kind of telling us by the way you've worded the question that you are using insight as a lie detection. It's not just that. 
it's about figuring out what allegiances that player has, or that sorry, that character has. It's what their emotional state. Might what their be emotional in that state might be in that moment, right? It's not just about lies. It's also about finding out what their motivations could be and are. Yeah. Right. Uh, by the way they're carrying themselves, what they're wearing, those kind of things. The, right? For the information they give you, the information they keep from you. If you ask, "What's your name?" and they say, "My name is Mister," and then their last name, then that is information. They don't give you their first name for a reason. Yeah. That is because I demand respect, right? And so these are little pieces of information that insight can help with. So the way I would phrase that is not, you know, you think he's uh, holding something back to you or, or something along those lines. You say, like many people who are with this organization, he is a bit more withdrawn with giving you more information, right? Or, or something along those lines. Like, give them some sort of added world-building level of um, information with the the fact that if they are lying or if not lying or holding information back or, or being freely yeah. open. I, I will say this though. If you, if the character is blatantly lying to fool the party and the person rolls an insight check that beats it by five or more, I always look the player square in the eye and say, this character is lying. I don't leave that up to ambiguity. Yeah, if, yeah. if you get a high enough roll and you figure it out, here is your reward. Congratulations. In the but same this, way that in real life, sometimes you can just tell yeah. someone is lying. But we're programmed for that. Sometimes yeah. you're like, I don't know, they're acting a bit cagey. There's something, maybe something's going on. Maybe it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you're like, that guy's fucking bullshitting me right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me talk. Dan, I know you want to do your question. I just want to put my points in on this one. A um, couple of things I noticed. So, first of all, uh, if you are on watch, that is not passive perception. Your job is to actively perceive what's going on around you. Yeah. Um, and then uh, for passive insight, in fact, for both of these, in the same way that an insight check is not detect thought or detect lies, uh, a perception check is not locate object yes. uh, for me. What are you perceiving? The temperature has changed. The smell has changed. The color of the stone has changed. And then you can uh, add or, or subtract the amount of those details or give as many details as you like based on the score. But just remember that it's not they see the door or they don't see the door. There's other things that they may notice. To, to, to your point, sorry, before you continue. To your point, getting a high enough perception check is not the secret door is clearly behind the bookcase. The high enough perception check is the smoke from the lit candle seems to be wafting towards the back of the bookcase. Yes. Yeah. So you are not giving them necessarily the answer. You are giving them the next layer of clues to yeah. get there. Right. Because then, cause then the, that's right. Because then it doesn't reveal the door. Then you can spend, for those people that are like, I feel like I'm flying through and I'm rushing. Okay, well, they're going to spend 10 minutes of real life time trying to figure out what this is and talk amongst themselves. Do we go in? Do we knock it down? Whatever. Uh, and the next part was about the insight stuff. Yes, thank you. Um, which was like uh, passive, like whether or not you can detect lies right away. A passive insight I played as you, uh, you, will, you will notice behavior or changes in emotion earlier than others, but it's not always apparent as to why. You will notice that somebody suddenly leans forwards and is very attentive, or you will notice that their behavior has changed. You will notice that this line of questioning appears to emotionally charge them in some way. Yeah. Or they're saying things which you may not know as a humanoid talking to them, you don't know if they're lying, but you know that they have become defensive. And then, and then it is the active attempt to get more information that would require an insight check. Yes. Right? So... I will say this. There are a lot of skills out there that I believe should have a passive knowledge uh, or a passive um, skill to them. Like the knowledge is religion, nature, whatnot, where you can turn to the cleric who has, uh, you know, 
into religion. They've put all of these these points into it. They've uh, decided that this is the thing that they want to focus on. They would just know. They walk into the church and you can just tell them they don't have to roll for it. You know that this altar looks wrong, right? You just That should be a passive thing that just happens. And we kind of take that on narratively, but it would be nice to know what their actual passive skill is. Yeah. I think that's really important for stealth. I love getting the stealth early because it depends on how quiet they are. If I have a guard based on passive perception and he doesn't know the party is there, the party can roll a stealth check. If the party doesn't know the guard is there either, who detects who? Right. Having a passive stealth versus the passive perception is going to be an indicator for me. Yeah. However, passive investigation is not one of these things. Investigation is a thing you do. It is an active thing you do on purpose. I can walk into my house and open a drawer and pull out a fork. I did not investigate the fucking drawer. Right. I went and got a fork. However, I need to find out which one of these books is a fake book on the bookshelf. That doesn't happen passively. Yeah. Right? So anytime you're using passive investigation, just make it perception or an investigation role. Yeah. Right? So. Okay. Here's our final question, guys. User Shatner Pants. Do you allow players to make alterations to ability scores or skills to account for non-standard adventuring ages? I.e., if a standard, if a, sorry, if a player is running a child or a senior citizen, what kind of changes would you implement? Thanks. I really like what Call of Cthulhu does where there's a, a, a shift in like education and yeah, you're, you're a decrease in speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your education goes up and your movement goes down. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we legit had my, my, we talked about Rezu briefly. He's a dragonborn, but I, I, when we were talking to, when I was talking to Adam about it at the very beginning of building the character, I'm like, he is ancient for a dragonborn, like three times the maximum age for a dragonborn. And that's where I'm starting this campaign at. What do we want to do about that? And Adam's like, just use your stats, right? Just use the stats as they justify. And like, he has a seven index or something like that. And I was like, cause he's old, done, yeah. right? But for... Was that your body that made that sound? That was my body that made that okay. sound, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for drawing attention to it, Terry. Um, <laughs> I was concerned for you. <laughs> I was concerned for myself. <laughs> um, I'm only concerned with myself. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> fair. Um, so, do I allow players to make changes? I mean, in previous editions, there were straight up, like, if you are above this age bracket, you get this... Yeah. Well, it's part of the streamlined math of 5th editions. We don't do that. Yeah. But that's okay because every adventure is 20 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it's... Look, here's how I would do it. Okay, here's my here's my answer. And, of course, clear this with your DM ahead of time. Roll your 4d6, drop the lowest, whatever it is that you normally do. Um, and then tally up the total of all of those rolls. Count them all together so you have a pool. And then do point five from there in ways that make sense to your character. I'm older, so I'm going to focus on mental stats, and I'm going to focus less on physical stats. Yeah. I'm young. My agility and my charisma will be through the roof. My intelligence and wisdom and strength will be lower. Right. Like this is this is how I would I would do it. So you're still getting all of the sh shit you rolled, but you're point fine differently. Like you're you're able to allocate it appropriately based on your. I actually really like that method. Yeah. Like we're at well. blending uh, point by and forty six drop the lowest. Yeah, because if you're gonna fuck with with ability scores and stuff like that, it arbitrary. Well, your history would go up, but your acrobatics would go down. It's too noodly. Just do, yeah. it, do it from character creation. If you want to get that granular, there are other systems for you to play. Um, except for shit. Which is it? Is it 
the wild magic table where you can fucking age. Yep. That one I might get noodly. I, I would I would start to sit down to the players and be like, okay, look, we have a wild magic table here. If this happens, be aware that you will eventually age out and we're gonna have it kinda by adult, elderly, and child. So three there like, is there'll be adjustments. There is also, I believe it's one of the traps in Tomb of Horrors that yeah. ages and decreases your age. And there are stats with it. And that has been converted to 5th edition in um, uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal. Yeah. So maybe looking there, I don't know for a fact it's there. But I do know in the original Tomb of Horrors that was a trap. So. I, I do know that one of the traps that is there still is the forced gender swap. And that's problematic. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. No, no, that's now just an age thing. Yeah. 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 So that will be an age thing when I do it. So, Or no, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a species, a, a race, a lineage swap. You were a kobold, bam, you're a goliath. Change your character sheet. And go. <laughs> you were a horse, bam, you're a goblin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're a fan favorite character. <laughs> um, Shit, sorry, what was this question? The, I was listening the, to your the, the ages. The, the, uh, oh, the ages. Yeah, just there's always something to break or to... Sorry, there's always something to challenge with this. I, lo I loved Adam's idea of how, of how we, he would change the stats. And somebody at home could argue, well, just because you're older doesn't mean you're more intelligent. No, but you will have much higher amounts of acquired knowledge. You have experience in the world, so your wisdom goes up. You have a better understanding of the world around you. And you're a hero, so you can sit there with real-world examples and say, well, my grandfather would just doze off at the age of 60. So, yeah, right, you're not your grandfather. You are a legendary hero your your stats go yes up. and i think yeah. too often in this game which we enjoy we argue over what is realistic yeah. in a game which is complete fantasy like uh it has to get to a point where you're like okay that works well and it makes sense and then to ask yourself what's more important uh just enjoying the flavor or, or getting something which is as realistic as it could possibly be just you know, whatever system works with adjusting the stats, as long as it's fair, your DM agrees with it, it isn't going to break the game for any other players at all. Just go with that. Don't feel a need to challenge everything. Pick your battles. So, I have one more question that came in yesterday. Okay. Um, and it says, uh, it's from Alexander, another Skip Davis, who says, Have you and yours emptied that mail sack yet? And yes, we have. Yes, we have. There we go. We are done. Can we not call it a sack? So that's all for uh, mail for, sack. for all of the questions and the fucking backlog of uh, of it's a uh, yeah Dan the, the don't worry I'm you just emptied your mail sack yeah the, of, and the, of the backlog of the backlog yeah, yeah. what about yeah. emphasize mail have you emphasized your mail sack I I, I don't think you want to emphasize your mail sack well we'll we'll have to ask Shanna about your mail sack because I'm sure she she's got it in her purse right anyways you can check back regularly <laughs> uh, for. Enough. Future episodes. <laughs> this is why you're off the podcast, isn't it? It's, it's for this kind of shit, isn't it? it, it it's the relentless bullying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we actually had an episode called "More Bullying Dan," and it was a mailbag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think after that was why Dan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website www.itsamimic.com. Um, and a store where you can buy some awesome It's a Mimic merch. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
I want you to know it took a lot of self-control not to interrupt you during the last time I get to interrupt the exit splurb. Splurb? Splurb. splurb. The last word you want to say on this podcast is splurb. The last word. Yo, I, I have to make up a word is the last word. Yeah. yeah. You and I had the discussion, like, I don't understand or even comprehend the effect that I've had on people because of this shit. I can't think about it too much. No, it, it, it honestly, it concerns me. The second I think about it too much, I'm like... When people quote us and remember things and someone's like, I'm listening from Iceland. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I can't. It's too much for me now. Exactly. Right. So bittersweet. These people are mostly nice. Mostly. And I'm quite uncomfortable with like, if you need to sneeze or cough or whatever. (coughs) Whatever fluid needs to leave your body, do it now. Uh, Like, God damn it. Uh, do you guys need a pen or anything? Uh, so we can mark yeah, I should probably sure. one. That's not a pen!